I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slings. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? Let's send you out on the right note. Uh, PFF sucks. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs> wow. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Pelizzolo, Sam Monson, back at studio here. We're back, man. We're back and just about alive. How was your uh, COVID plus plus uh, ski trip? Yeah, it turns out it was COVID on the Super Bowl. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which I didn't really even think about until a couple of days after the Super Bowl show. I was like, it doesn't really matter what it is at this point. Well, it was sort of like, because the real reason we didn't think about it is because it, it all came from Gordon, right? He was like the carrier for whatever this was. Mm-hmm. And he just went down for like 12 hours for a nap one day and was like, ah, oh, now, now I'm better again. And Tyler had had food poisoning or whatever. And we thought, oh, maybe Tyler should... had a rough week. Yes. Producer Tyler went straight from food poisoning to whatever disease we were passing around. Right. Yeah. But my thought was basically just like, oh, it's some kind of virus that just goes around, knocks you out for 24 hours, and we're, we're back up and running. And it was only on like day two or three or whatever. I was like, huh, I wonder if this is COVID. Took a test, and it turned out it was COVID, which is my first go around with it. I'd, I'd so far avoided it up until that point. Yeah. Good work. Turns out it sucks. Yeah. It kind of knocks you down a little bit. I was down for like three days and even like today is probably the first day that i haven't felt sick like i've just felt i'm now i'm just tired because i went on a ski trip after that that was a tough conversation with my, with my wife when i right. came home on the monday <laughs> that we got honey, back i'm back bad news i'm yeah. also sick See I, well i was getting texts all throughout the week like man you need to come home <laughs> your kids it's all four of them they're yeah. acting up when you come home you're doing everything and i you know slept all day so then i had a pre-booked ski trip with scout i was going to take scout for like a, a weekend skiing because i was given a, a ski pass as a present so I booked this whole thing for like a week after the Super Bowl. So now I'm like running up against this, you know, COVID time. I'm like, CDC and stuff says, you know, five days afterwards, you can come out of a locked closet or whatever you're supposed to be doing. Um, so I'm testing, I'm going negative. I'm now fly, we're bringing scouts. So I'm, I'm on fully masked up and like respiratory. The, the test itself doesn't actually matter. Whatever, but I'm like fully locked in to try and not get her sick and other people. Uh, whilst knowing I'm probably fine, but I'm just wrecked at this point. So I'm like, well, what does your body really need after COVID? Altitude and exercise. Yes, yes that's, that's what you the, need. That's the, that's the place so to that go. was pretty rough. In other news, I came in this morning to the office, and uh, Susie, what is it? Office manager, is that her yes, gig? Yes, office manager um, Susie. She comes in with this box, and it's like, oh, this arrived for you today. I'm like, really? Okay, so I open it, and it's gift-wrapped. There's a purple gift-wrapping thing over there. Wow. And uh, it was from a listener, Ricardo, and it, is, it said, uh, on the, the label, it said, uh, for next year's Super Bowl. Uh, and it is a, the product label here is a children's height-boosting cushion. <laughs> so someone sent me a booster seat. So the next time I'm oh, sitting that's great. next to you at a table, uh, wow. I have a child's. And it's, it's specifically Our listeners are amazing. applicable age viewers. over five years old. 
So you so. fit. That's good. That's perfect. Yeah. So we'll have to, I assume this is inflatable, but it might not be. Um, we'll have yes. to try that out. Put that with the gear for next year's Super Bowl. We yeah. have a we have a booster seat. A booster seat, man, that is amazing. Thank you. So we send in free subscriptions to uh, booster seat. Guys. Well, in the in, that's another thing that's on my list of things to do now that I'm alive again. Uh, remember, we said at the Super Bowl next week we'll get to all the people who we lost bets to and we owe free PFF Plus subscriptions. Well, since I died during the intervening time, I haven't done that yet this week. Well, we'll get, we'll definitely get to that. I also I apologize. I was asking for mailbag questions, not really knowing how we were gonna run these shows, but I realized because um, next week's the the scouting combine, mm-hmm. we're gonna be there all week. I'm gonna be locked in meetings with teams, so I won't be on um, live shows with you. And then the following week, I'm going to Mexico, just wow. running to Mexico for a wedding, not mine. Huh. And so I'm gonna be gone the week after that, and then free agency hits. So. Uh, one of our favorite series of the year is fixing every team in five minutes. So I think we we realized between today, tomorrow, and then next week, you know, pre-combine, we need to get this in because we we like to fix every team. We like to take five minutes to do it, and we like to you know talk free agency in the draft. So we're going to start that today with the AFC and the NFC North teams fixing every team in five minutes. We will um, we'll get back to mailbag and answering questions and draft rankings and all that fun stuff post Mexico. Most likely. Okay. Sound good? Mm-hmm. So the, the history of this series, Sam, we did actually try to do a 32-team show one time where yeah. we fixed every team in five minutes. Yeah. And we said, if we just spend five minutes on every team, we have a full show. It's a long show, but we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And the very first team, I think, was the Miami Dolphins or something. And we just started – we just went on and on about their quarterback situation and what they need to do. So it's fixing every team in five minutes, but not really. Yeah. We were like 20 minutes in to the Dolphins. We're like, okay, that's probably not happening. So we're going to do – so we, we, we do generally dedicate about 20 minutes per team. 15 to 12. We'll aim for 15 and go through uh, what teams are losing, what they've got coming back, a little cap situation, draft potential, free agent potential. I'll give every team the same free agents because that's how we do it. So you ready to go? Yep. All right. So today's the AFC and the NFC North. We're going to start with the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Baltimore Ravens AFC championship participant this year best record in the NFL but lose to the Kansas City Chiefs one game away from the Super Bowl coming into this offseason here Um, we have a couple offensive linemen John Simpson at guard and Kevin Zeitler both free agents Justin Matabike their biggest free agent name coming off of a career year on the defensive line Um, edge rushers Patrick Queen uh, decisions to be made there so uh, Baltimore Ravens coming into this offseason. What are you looking at for Baltimore to uh, to get over that hump, man, and get it to the Super Bowl? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's a fascinating offseason of narratives now. I was watching during the week. Uh, I finally got around to watching that Joe Montana series that was on Peacock, Cool Under Pressure or something. Montana is a fascinating uh, example. Br- Montana, Brady, now Mahomes – they're all really interesting examples of like you change a couple of plays here or there and like the entire story of their career changes, right? And Montana a bunch of times was the guy that just got it done, got the rings, got over the hump, uh, and that sort of changes the whole dynamic. Brady obviously did it a whole bunch of times in his career. Now Mahomes is doing it to people as well. And those three are sort of the beneficiaries of the right side of those few plays, but there's a corresponding person on the other side of them, right? And, and a lot of the times it is one kind of person or team or, you know, individual that's kind of getting repeatedly 
beaten by these guys time after time after time. And then, you know, you become Jim Kelly and the Buffalo Bills or whatever, Yikes. right? So Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens are now in danger of becoming one of those teams where unless you figure out a way of not just being consistently good year on year, which is hard enough by itself, but then how do you get past Kansas City in the playoffs? Right? That, that's, and it's not just Baltimore. Buffalo, like half the AFC is now asking that question, right? It's not, no longer good enough to just be a good AFC team. The, the, on the NFC side, Dallas, I think, can realistically say, let's just figure out how to get to 12 wins every single year, and then one year it's going to break our way in the playoffs, right? And we just have to get over that hump, and then everything's going to be good. The AFC, on the other hand, is saying, okay, 12 wins doesn't actually do you any good anymore. We need to get to 12 wins every year and figure out how we're going to beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in the playoffs once we run into them because they're going to be there every year. I don't know what the answer to that is. Oh, great. This whole thing is going to be AFC teams. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, there's nothing specific. I don't think it's as simple as like load up on corners because you have to stop the pass game. The Chiefs also showed this year they could do it with a lesser offense, uh, more of a game manager type style at the quarterback position, and then play, play really good defense. Um, it's, to me, it's just all about making – you just have to continue to make your team better. And I think where Baltimore's strengths have been – you know, how, how did Baltimore get here? Part of that is, I think, just continuing to make good decision after good decision. Um, two years ago, they traded Marquise Brown for a first-round pick, night of the draft. And that night, they come away with Tyler Linderbaum at center and safety Kyle Hamilton, right? And so you could easily say, well, Kyle Hamilton – is better and more valuable than Marquise Brown. Right. And Tyler Linderbaum is on his way, if he's not there already, to be one of the best starting centers in the league. So I think that's what Baltimore has done to this point, and I think they just need to continue down that path. Now, I would say one of the places, because of how, the, how Baltimore has played defense, both under Wink Martindale and then under Mike McDonald before he got the Seattle head coaching job, Baltimore has seemingly built their defense from back to front and thought about their corners, and they're, they're secondary. They, that's where they've invested the most. And then at, at linebacker with Roquan Smith, right? They traded for him and then paid him a ton of money. I do wonder how much they want to go. So th that was more at the neglect of, say, your edge rushers, where a lot of other teams, that's where they tend to uh, invest. They, Baltimore did a nice job of getting Jadavian Clowney on the one-year deal again this year, which teams have been doing. Um, they brought Kyle Van Noy in off the couch. Like, those guys played solid football. But if you're talking about what may have been missing in an AFC championship against the Chiefs, I think it's that ability to get pressure off the edge. So with Odafe Owe, you know, heading into what, year four, year three, year four for Owe, David Ajabu coming off of injury. I mean, they, they, they've got a little bit more work to do, I think, on the edge. For a team that was as good as they were and, you know, certain important parts are obviously locked up long term, Lamar Jackson, et cetera, there is a lot that needs to be done to this roster like for 2024. It's far from, we're pretty much intact. You know, we've got a couple of small decisions here, there, or a couple of starting spots that can go in a different direction. They actually have a lot of turnover showing up and, you know, potentially one of the, the single biggest pieces of business they have to do is their own. Like, can they afford to let a guy like Justin Matabike hit free agency? I would say probably not. So, like, job one needs to be either locking him up long-term or franchise tagging him, which is not exactly the most... I mean, that's putting an already 
not great salary cap position under even more pressure if they then have to use a franchise tag on a defensive tackle. They are. Um, all, there are also rumors that cornerback Marlon Humphrey might be a cut candidate. Right. At, at over you know, almost almost twenty million APY for for Marlon Humphrey. And he's coming off a year where he played only 570 snaps, a 65 grade. That's the lowest grade of his career. Two out of his last three years, Humphrey has had the lowest grade. Two of his two lowest grades have come over the last three years for the Ravens. When I think there was one point in um, – by the way, I also think part of that is just expanded role for Humphrey when he started moving around a little bit more, put a little bit more on his plate. But that's one of those questions I think that the, the Ravens have to answer as well. Um, to start, do they bring back a Kevin Zeitler at this point? Still a solid guard. I do think the offensive line is one of those positions where you can continue to sign older players right. for one, two years at a time and still get value. And once you start, once you start trying to get younger there, and you've seen other teams do this, like, oh, we'll just replace this veteran with this, you know, third round draft pick or fourth round draft pick. Sometimes it takes those guys a little bit longer to develop. I think trying to bring Zeitler back makes a lot of sense and then you can if you've got four slots solidified on the offensive line that fifth slot makes it easier to start you know get younger and and figure that out from there sure um i'm i'm one kind of almost throwaway red shirt type of pick that they had a year ago that i'm curious to keep an eye on this offseason is andrew Voorhees, the usc offensive lineman remember he was the guy that uh tore his acl at the combine right, right? like doing drills on the field uh did the bench press with like his leg in a cast, like on crutches, hobbled out to the bench, but repped whatever something ridiculous, like thirty something reps with a leg, like one leg just dangling off the side of the bench in a in a big air cast or whatever. Um, and then the the Ravens end up drafting him seventh round, right? Something ridiculously low, day uh, day three pick, and essentially redshirting him. Like we'll you know we'll put him on IR, we'll have him recover there, but. He's a guy I think that has starting ability, and I, I'm just obviously rooting for the guy. Given that that story, it would be interesting to see if he has a pathway through to a starting job. Given that theoretically, either one of those guard spots is kind of up for grabs. A couple other holes to fill that I want to discuss here um, on the offensive side of the ball. OBJ was just signed to that one-year deal, so he's a free right. agent. They drafted Zay Flowers in the first round last year. What felt like pretty good depth at receiver and tight end last year. Now it's like, all right, you've got Zay Flowers, and do you still do you really trust Rashad Bateman? Do you trust um, anyone else in that receiving core? So it feels like another need this offseason. And then running back, where J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards both, you know, hitting the market there. And look, one of our listeners said, I can't wait to see Steve give Derrick Henry to 24 teams, hmm. right? And so team number one, <laughs> we'll be starting the, now. We'll be the Baltimore Ravens. I will pair Derrick Henry with teams who will run the ball often, much like I think you know. If you if you're a good running back, I will pair you with a team that has either a running quarterback or a team that's going to run the ball a lot or both. And so, is this actually a move for Baltimore to go get a Derrick Henry just because it fits their style? They're not as run heavy maybe as they were previously, but I think. Baltimore's secret sauce offensively this, this year was the ability to win in different ways. They had games where it was pass attack. They had games where it was the running attack. They had games where it was um, you know, more on Lamar, less on Lamar. Does Derrick Henry actually make sense for the Ravens? I mean, I would love to see Derrick Henry in that offense, but I don't know that I could advocate them you know, paying the money for that to make sense. Like, Also, 
part of it depends what Derrick Henry's market is going to be, which I think is a very difficult thing to pin down because any sort of conventional wisdom or money management, roster management, whatever, you you couldn't really construct a good argument for any team really at this point to go after Derrick Henry and pay him significant money because of everything we know about running backs. On the other hand, Derrick Henry has been the exception. Like he's been the unicorn, the thing that you're not supposed to do, go chasing exceptions. He's shown repeatedly throughout his NFL career that he is the exception. So do you still treat him like an exception at this point in his career and say, he's worth giving that money to like he's a guy we can give that contract to he's a guy we can go after that we wouldn't for any other running back I don't know the answer to that but I I would find it very difficult if I was somebody in the Ravens front office you know one of the best run organizations generally in the NFL to construct an argument to go after Derrick Henry and pay him a ton of money I would use the resources somewhere else I would bring in a wide receiver I would whatever but if somehow Derrick Henry's market never materializes and he's available for virtually nothing, yeah. absolutely bring him on because I would love to see him in that offense. Yeah, I think that's a fair that's a fair assessment of the running back position. You know, running back will be interesting because those guys, you know, again, Gus Edwards has averaged close to five yards per carry, right, his entire career as an undrafted free agent. The Ravens have done a nice job of of making running backs. At the same time, you've got the Christian McCaffrey factor with the Niners. You know, when you do add one to an already good system that makes running backs, does that help take your offense to the next level? I think the Ravens can ask that question. That's why I think they drafted J.K. Dobbins a couple years ago because they wanted, instead of five yards per carry, we want six yards per carry because this dude could take it to the house. Um, What about at receiver? I think we are talking about the Ravens. They're picking at 30 in the first round. I do think that is going to be a sweet spot for we're talking about the the Niners might have a wide receiver need depending on what they do with Brandon Ayuk. The Chiefs at 32. We know we're going to be talking receiver all offseason, but I think the Ravens, once again, could be back-to-back years picking first-round receivers. A.D. Mitchell seems to be a hot name for a lot of teams on the back end of the first round. I think he'd be an awesome fit in Baltimore to go with, say, Flowers and the tight ends. Yeah, I mean, not for the first year, but it's a great year to need wide receiver help, um, I mean, in the draft. Like, there's going to be a ton of these guys. So I would think Baltimore should absolutely be bringing, be drafting a wide receiver. It does. I don't think it needs to be in the first round, but you're right. It might be a natural sweet spot, you know, meshing anyway. Um, but I think you're going to get those guys in the second round as well. The first question would be, do you bring back OBJ? Because I know a lot of people were, I don't think he played that well last year, and I wouldn't be rushing out to – Bring him back. I, I've been I've been running through this segment, assuming we're not right. I, I I don't I don't know that it's it's the consistency is there, the special isn't there necessarily. I don't think he's been special in about five years. He had that spurt with the Rams. Yes, right where leading he started to the Super Bowl. Slow, yeah, and then it, he my I, he would have been MVP of the Super Bowl Correct. if he didn't get hurt. Right, they were featuring him slot fades. They were attacking Mike Hilton, and he looked. Like he was going to dominate the Super Bowl. But that was the last time I think we really saw that from OBJ. Everything else has just been inconsistent. They, him and Lamar were not able to connect consistently last year. Yeah, he averaged less than two yards per route run last season um, for the Ravens. He played okay. I mean, that was the best version of him we've seen, I think, since that Super Bowl. But it's not like you sort of looked at that. Plus, given his age, you know, 31 years old, it's not like you looked at that and said, got to bring this guy back. Like he. He completely trans the way he did with the Rams when he was on that run to the Super Bowl. Like he's changed the offense, he's transformed this team. Absolutely, bring him back, and they didn't obviously because he got hurt. Um, but yeah, I just I don't think you could have seen enough from OBJ to say we've got to bring him back for that kind of money. 
when you when you do look at the draft and you say alternatively for a fraction of the cost in the first slash second round you know there's ad mitchell there's um all these other guys jalen polk there's jamari thrash there's like so many different receivers you could bring in and theoretically get the same kind of production for less money um the other so couple potential answers that i want to give the ravens here in free agency at guard if they look at damian lewis of the Seattle Seahawks. Okay. Um, I think he fits um, from a run blocking perspective, 75th percentile throughout his career and positively graded run blocks. That is a huge uh, stable stat for interior offensive linemen. I think he'd be a nice fit and try to bring back Seitler. Keep that offensive line intact. I think, I think to your point, the depth at receiver might be the way to go in the draft, but they have to keep taking swings at receiver. The other thing, as I mentioned earlier, the edge, the edge rusher, the edge rush position here in Baltimore, is that going to be featured more in a different offense? Edge rusher at the back end of the first round, if that ends up becoming a play, Chop Robinson from Penn State, he's 44th on the PFF draft board at the moment. I don't know if that, a lot of people had him in the first round. I don't know where he ends up landing. And then Darius Robinson from Missouri, who's getting a ton of publicity, uh, coming off one of the best senior bowls we've ever seen, Darius Robinson. Again, I, I bet by the end of this whole thing, they're talking about him in the top 10 to 15. But as of now, he's creeping up into the first round, and he might be a good fit for Baltimore late in the first. So I think I think edge and receiver, there'll be some options there at the back end of the first. Their value positions, they fit what Baltimore needs, and I think that's going to be the way to go. I also think this is a year or an offseason where the veteran, the type of veteran free agent edge rushers that Baltimore loves to bring in, the Judevian Clownies of the world, there's, there's going to be a bunch of those guys like available right before the season that they can just bring in. You know, you're going to look at this depth chart at some point in the offseason and be like, wow, Ravens really don't have that much when it comes to pass rushers or edge rushers in particular. And then they're going to sign, you know, Marcus Davenport and Daryl Taylor or something in the space of three days. And we're yeah. like, oh, look, it's fixed. They did it. And it's going to cost them like not much. Yeah, those guys are in the hundreds on our, on our board right now. And I, look, I think that a lot of that makes sense. A lot of that makes sense the way they have operated to this point. I just wonder if when, when they're assessing this season and they're like, hey, the Chiefs are the team to beat, having a little bit more off the edge to kind of slow down that offense might make sense. All right, so look, we don't give you every single answer. We give you, we talk through what the potential options are, right? So do we fix the Baltimore Ravens? This, this is getting us to the Super Bowl. Uh, at, least, at least this year we're not talking about <laughs> are they bringing Lamar Jackson back? Yes, true. And then uh, run the ball in the AFC Championship a little mm. bit more. Yeah, we don't have to relitigate the uh, Lamar Jackson contract mess. So that's good. Um, is 2024 bringing exciting or unexpected changes to your life? Well, here's a secret weapon to help you face those challenges with more confidence. It's a great term life insurance policy. That's right. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it simple to protect your family's financial future so you can focus on what's ahead knowing your family is protected if something else unexpected happens. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get High quality term life insurance, high quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all on online and on your schedule. You go from start to cover in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com, M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states, prices subject to underwriting and health questions. 
Ravens are fixed. Let's move on. Cincinnati Bengals. We got some scenarios here in Cincinnati coming off a year where obviously Joe Burrow was injured, and we talk about the teams, you know, trying to knock off the Chiefs. Well, the Ravens are one of those teams that can still do it, right? I mean, they they lost by a touchdown in the AFC Championship just this year, which included a fumble at the goal line and Lamar Jackson making a bad red zone decision for an interception. It could have gone either way, mm-hmm. right? At the end of the day. And the Bengals are the one team, or have the one quarterback who's still active, who has knocked off Patrick Mahomes yeah. in a playoff game. Well, they're the one team that has actual history of being able to go toe-to-toe with the Chiefs and come out on top you know, more often than losing. Yeah, Literally, they're the only team to be able to do that, essentially. So now the, the challenge with Cincinnati and these other teams that, you know, like a Baltimore that just locked up Lamar Jackson for a lot of money, you've got Joe Burrow getting paid. Yeah. And so you don't have rookie contract quarterback anymore. So I think the the Bengals, the Bills, the Ravens, they're some of the more fascinating teams to figure out because you know you got the quarterback locked up. We're not playing that game. Right. But you're trying to figure out what is the what are the best ingredients around your highly paid quarterback to make this run. And now the Bengals at a big time crossroads with T. Higgins as he hits free agency and they have to decide, are we going to franchise tag him? Are we going to re-sign him? Are we going to try to tag and trade? What are we going to try to do with T. Higgins? All these teams now, um, almost all these teams are in the same bucket in terms of they're all, they've all passed the point now of being able to, like one way of trying to combat <coughs> Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs is if you can find the rookie quarterback or the, the rookie contract quarterback, right, and steal a march on them, okay, you may have Patrick Mahomes, but you're paying him a large sum of money, even if it's not necessarily, you know, where he deserves to be paid because of the contract he signed. But we can try and offset that because we're only paying our quarterback rookie contract money and we can put the money elsewhere. But you look at all the teams around, and we're now Lamar Jackson, second contract, uh, Joe Burrow, second contract, Josh Allen, second contract, Justin Herbert, second contract. Like all the guys we're talking about that are going to try and beat the Chiefs, they're all in the same boat of they have that problem as well now. Um, and actually, because the way Mahomes structured that contract, you could argue that Kansas City's actually in a better boat than the rest of these teams because their quarterback contract is actually more friendly than, say, Cincinnati and Joe Burrows. But, yeah, like it, and it's the same story for all of them. It's not that it's impossible. It just becomes harder. Like you now have to make some difficult decisions every single year, say T. Higgins, and sometimes you're going to have to let the money make the decision for you and say, I would love to keep this guy around. On the other hand, you sort of look at the next, you know, two, three years. We just can't afford to do it. we got to let him walk. And by the way, everyone keeps focusing, hey, T. Higgins, T. Higgins, T. Higgins. Tyler Boyd is on his way out as well. Nobody's right. even talking about that. Like, we're just saying bye-bye to Tyler Boyd. And it's a case of, do you keep T. Higgins as well? You're, the other thing you're going to hear a lot um – in just from talking heads this offseason well the well the chiefs set the they set the pattern here right they got rid of their high-priced receiver they Mm -hmm. didn't pay him and they still won and i caution everybody to not listen to such analysis i do not believe that the chiefs are a blueprint in any way because they do have the common denominator not only mahomes but when they when they made that move they went. Ahead. I mean, at the end of the Super Bowl, what are all the narratives? Okay, Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. He's uh, he's goat chasing right now, and they've got a newly minted potential Hall of Fame defensive coordinator in Spags. And Andy Reid is he's goat chasing too, as far as the best coach of all time. Is he on his way? And it's like there's 
there's other pieces at play in Kansas City. And their ability to move on from Tyree Kill opened the door to have what ended up becoming an historic defense, not giving up more than 27 points in any game. We haven't seen that, right? So all of those things add up. But I don't think just saying, hey, forget – if you have a great record, quarterback, just forget receivers. I still think the reason why the Bengals were plays away from winning a Super Bowl was what they had in Jamar Chase plus T. Higgins plus Tyler Boyd and then everything else that they built around that. So Those guys were so good – that we forgot that the Bengals made it to the Super Bowl with a bottom five pass-protecting offensive line. That stuff doesn't happen, right? So I, I think Cincinnati has to be careful here. And when we talked about their draft last year, we said, okay, the term future-proofing came up a lot. And I think Cincinnati continues to have to be careful when they draft to draft high-value positions. Edge rusher last year, corner in the second round, um, getting a Charlie Jones and uh, Andre Yusevis at receiver last year, like those guys will step in and have a chance to take some of Tyler Boyd and his production, but we still have a decision, I think, on on Higgins and what the best play is. There. Yeah, so I forget how we've done these in the past. Are we assuming what teams will do, or are we just doing what we would do? I think we're because doing I what, in what this, we would want to do I here. I think in this case, certainly for me, I don't want to speak for you, uh, in this case, I think those are two different things. So I think that the Bengals will franchise tag T. Higgins. It feels like this has been heading down the Jesse Bates pathway for a while. And they've said, look, we're going to put the franchise tag on him. We'll get one more, not cheap year out of him, but we'll get one more cost-controlled year that, we're, that we know. And then we'll let him leave next offseason because we're not paying him the big money long-term deal. We'll try and get that one year out of him and, and away he goes. Um, now, where it may differ from Jesse Bates is he's a wide receiver. And I think you might get trade offers if you franchise tag him in a way that I don't think they did with Jesse Bates. So maybe they still end up tagging him and then trading him away. Either way, I think that's how this begins is they slap the franchise tag on him. I don't know that I would do that. If I'm the Bengals and I have a choice much the way the Giants did a year ago. I have one franchise tag. I have multiple players that I need to keep in the building. I would put the franchise tag on DJ Reader before I put it on T. Higgins. That's interesting because I'm over here looking at draft interior defensive linemen. I think where I would differ is I would say, okay, I look, this is where it's – this is difficult, man, because yeah. we've spent a lot of the last two or three years talking about the Bengals' offense from a team-building standpoint – Luana Rumo on the defensive side of the ball, defensive coordinator, has done a really nice job. They were never really, there were never really stars on that side of the ball. You could argue, hey, Trey Hendrickson at edge has become a star. Jesse Bates, you know, had star type of power, but they had done a really nice job stitching it together. But they they had holes last year. The safety position was an issue without Jesse Bates. And DJ Reader has been a consistent impact player for them. So I don't I don't hate the tag for reader because we've seen his on off and you know impact there but my concern is i think you you can get your run stopping defensive lineman in the draft and you though isn't that the sort of thing that everybody like that's what everyone preaches and then the draft rolls around every year and we're like where are the interior players i mean in the third round second third fourth round tavondre sweat if you can get if, if tavondre sweat is there in the second round for Cincinnati, not again. Our strategy is never going to be like, oh, we'll let Reader walk so, because right. we're going to draft Sweat in round two. But those guys theoretically are easier to replace. But Reader also, has been a massive impact for them. Though. And I think Reader is much more than just a run-stuffing defensive tackle. Like the thing that makes Reader special is he's a player that can impact the game 
in both ways. Like he can, he's an absolute force in the run game, but he's also an impact player as a pass rusher as well. Not in the Aaron Donald you know type of mold, but he's a good enough pass rusher at his size to be able to push the pocket, to be able to create pressure, to be able to cause problems, disruptive, and play on all three downs. My concern with Reader is injury history. Like he's he's had some injuries, and when he's not there, it's a problem. But like 29 years old one of the very few players in today's NFL that can, I think, legitimately impact the game as both a run stuffer and a pass rusher. And they don't have any, like, you can't replace him with just a guy. Like, you might be able to replace part of what he does with a second or third round player, but I don't think you can replace all of what he does with, I mean, forget second or third round. I don't think you replace that in the draft. So the other positions that need to be addressed, we mentioned the, the two wide receivers, but uh, right tackle Jonah Williams, also hits free agency and the Bengals are also at this point where you know, I thought they I thought they made good strides on the offensive line but they they weren't great again last year so I I think depth is going to be an issue even though on paper they've got four out of five starters returning on the offensive line I think you really want to keep that depth going Jonah Williams currently they're their last year starting right tackle currently 54th on the PFF free agent board so who's going to be the ta- who's going to be the guy that we give to every team. Uh, Michael and Wenu. <laughs> Michael Seriously. and Wenu. He's the guy. I, unless, now. I, was gonna, I thought you were going to say Josh Jones because we did that last year. And no. We'll play the, I, I want to play that game again this Well, Josh Jones, well. anyone that needs a left tackle should absolutely be signing Josh yes. Jones. But I think he might actually be a left tackle only. Yeah. As weird as that sounds in today's NFL. I think he might be limited to that one. Not because of skill set, just because of however they ha- they're handling the position That from what we've seen so right. far. Right, that one position on the offensive line is where he plays well. Um, but I, what I'm curious about for um, Owenu is, has the way he's been sort of treated by the Patriots, is, is that indicative of how the entire league sees him? Are we looking at this guy who... For some reason, they, they're not 100% convinced he's even a starter. He can, he's like a swing tackle, a guy that can play inside-outside. Or are the teams looking at this and saying, the PFF grades are insane. He's always played well regardless of where he's lined up. And when he's been at right tackle, he's been the best version of himself at 26 years old. Like, this is a cornerstone player that we can get for pennies on the dollar. So I'm, what is his market going to look like? Because if it's cheap... Half the league should be jumping on this guy to sign. We know that uh, if he was a former first-round pick, the market would be stronger. Right. The, the, one of the things our guy Brad Spielberger talks about is your, your draft position uh, actually affecting your market when you hit free agency. So as a former sixth-rounder, forget – I mean, again, you're, you're basically saying there are teams the, – sometimes the league differs from our grades, right? They really look at PFF like, you guys are idiots. Right. right? Not, every, not every time. Um, not most of the time, but sometimes they, they think that. Like, we still take crap for Evan Mathis. Like, still do. People still bring up, we overgraded Evan Mathis. If that's the case for Unwenu, um, then maybe the market is better. The, the thing I would argue, though, is I would trust the grades because over time, better grades lead to more wins for your team right. and more war leads to more wins. And Unwenu, in that case, if the league is undervaluing him, I believe it makes him undervalued as a guy that has been successful at both guard and at tackle. Now, for what it's worth, if you go to PFF's free agent um, rankings, uh, Brad Spielberger's contract projection for him is four years, fourteen and a half million per year, thirty-three guaranteed, fifty-eight million total. So it's not, and he's doing that not just based off grades; he's doing that based off conversations right. and trying to anticipate what the league is going to look at. And that's kind of somewhere in the middle, right? It's like it's not. 
bargain basement shopping, but neither is it twenty million a year for a, a solid uh, starting tackle. So you know, when, I, I like the idea of Anwenu. Um, if they could try Josh Jones at right tackle, maybe that's the way to go. Um, when we're the, the Bengals are also picking at eighteen, they got a few extra picks this year. They're going to end up with they have nine total picks going into the draft. So they have uh, pick eighteen and then pick forty nine. Um, there was a point earlier this offseason I was thinking Roma Dunze from Washington. I don't before he was getting more top ten hype. I was thinking in my head, I'm like, man, that would be a nice a nice fit for Joe Burrow. The way he catches the ball at the catch point as a vertical threat opposite Jamar Chase. Um, no matter what happens with T. Higgins, you're still trying to continue to add to that position. I wonder if he's even potentially there at 18. But if you get an Awenu, an Awenu in the building, I think you have to try to fill those needs ahead of the draft, right? Always. Yeah. So I don't want to go into the first round saying I got to start. I got to get my starting right tackle. If they can avoid that, then I think they have the option of receiver, more edge help. I think potentially there. Um, but either way, I'm talking. They have a lot of camp space, which is yeah. unusual for a team. You know that they, they the ramifications of the borough contract haven't really hit yet. Right. They're about to hit, and you still might, have to anticipate that. You can't yeah. just say, "Oh, we have a ton of cap space. Let's spend it all here in 2024." And part of that is, you know, what we're talking about with the the franchise tag, right? The, the franchise tag wipes out a giant chunk of that right. the second you apply it to whether it's T. Higgins or uh, D. J. Reader or whatever. So somebody's getting tagged, you know. At you know that that solves one of your short term needs. Would love to see an Unwenu, you know, a tackle in free agency, have that offensive line solidified. And then I think in the draft you have to get younger on the offensive line. The the one thing the Bengals haven't done well is draft and develop offensive linemen, you know, guys that that they've drafted later rounds, and it's like, oh yeah, this guy's gonna step in at a pinch. We haven't seen much of that from Cincinnati all that well. And then I think D line, man, they gotta continue to load up. Love Trey Hendricks in there. Um, Sam Hubbard there, but I think just continuing to add more depth up front on that defensive line from a draft perspective. If so, would you keep T. Higgins or not? I would let him I would use the tag on Reader and let I would, T. Higgins. I would tag Higgins. Okay. And also explore the trade market with the tag. And then if I had to play if I had to make one more run with Higgins and Chase together and then lose him next year for a comp pick, I'd be I'd be okay with I think that. that's their plan. I mean yeah. that that I think is what they're intending to do with with that. I stand um, with Stand with Cincinnati. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would I would let him walk, and then I think I would probably – I'm not sure what I would do to uh, replace what you have. I think I, I like the potential of uh, Yoshivas, the the Princeton wide receiver from a year ago. Um, Princeton. We just called him Princeton just called last Princeton. year. Yeah. Um, I like his potential. I'm not sure if he's ready to do it right now. So I don't know if you try and bring in a receiver, a veteran receiver as like a bridge – um, you know, to let him develop into that guy, or you just draft another one and say between the two of them, one of them will, you know, step into that kind of role and be a, be a solid T. Higgins imitation. We're only at the team two, so I'm going to, you know, Perfect. repeat myself a lot. The wide receiver market, I do believe, T, just the PFF free agent board, T. Higgins, Michael Pittman Jr., Mike Evans. Then you get to, once you get to Marquise Brown, right, even, in the, even if you include Mike Evans' age, I'm starting to worry about the money for the Marquise Browns, the Calvin Ridleys. Then it's Darnell Mooney and Gabe Davis and OBJ and Tyler Boyd. I start to worry about the money when that yeah. gets up into the into the 12 to 16 million dollar range in a, on multi-year deals for those guys. 
I would rather go to the draft. One thing I think that's different about this year's draft class relative to certainly last year's, um, the size. Size and verticality. Yeah, and when you're talking about replacing a T. Higgins, obviously he's a very specific type of wide receiver. He's a big-bodied, you know, size type of wide receiver. Last year we were talking about all these tiny receivers, right? Even the top guys, it was uh, Jordan Addison undersized. It was like Jackson Smith and Jigba is – he was a slot guy. And he was considered by many to be the number one wide receiver. Quentin Johnson was the only guy at the top with any kind of size, and apparently he's terrible. Um, And then once you got beyond those big three, you got to Josh Downs and Tank Dell and Zay Flowers and these other small receivers. So the one thing that last year's class did not have is size and, you know, that, that type of receiver. This year, though... Certainly, once you start getting into the second round and and those kinds of things, now you're talking about almost all that's there is size. You know, A.D. Mitchell, Keon Coleman, Xavier Worthy, um, even guys like Devontae Walker is a reasonably large receiver. Xavier Leggett, like, there's a ton of these giant receivers. Yeah, I I would love to see Cincinnati double up. I mean, look, if you have – let's wrap it up on the Bengals. They had enough depth last year that first-round pick Miles Murphy was edge three on their team, right? right? Was was in there as part of a rotation. Second-round pick, uh, cornerback, DJ Turner. He was forced to play a little bit, but he was going to be a backup for a while. Uh, Cincinnati's going to start running out of those options as Burrow's contract goes goes further down the road. They're going to need more instant contributors. But I think they're still in this position where if they tag Higgins, double up on receiver again this year, right? And then it's like, okay, we'll get one starter out of the last four draft picks that we've made at receiver over the last couple of years. And then if they want to make a splash play after Higgins leaves, they could figure that out. But I think continue, they, they can continue to attack these positions, ease guys in, give them, you know, hybrid redshirt type of seasons. Yeah. And so by next year, hopefully DJ Turner's better after a year. Miles Murphy's better and more relied upon. I don't think they need as many instant impact players, but they're going to soon. They're going to, they're, so they well, have to load up on those positions that they're eventually going to be losing players. They've been very good as a franchise of future-proofing the roster and sort of and drafting for next year or the year beyond. The problem with that strategy is if you get it wrong, you're at a delay. You're like a lag of a year before you figure out that uh oh we made us we screwed that up and now we need to go in a completely different direction like so miles murphy for example okay you got some snaps from him last year but this is the year where they actually need miles murphy to be good and if he doesn't get any better this year it's taken them a year to figure out that they might have made a mistake with that pick you know and, and they could have gone a different direction you know what i mean it just it's sort of it's slower to to realize the impact of those uh, moves one last thing, we need to figure out who is the veteran uh, low-cost tight end tight end, the yeah. are going to bring in. Well, I was going to bring up something different. I was going to bring up, is Brock Bowers uh-huh. in play for Cincinnati? I mean, if he lasts to 18, yeah. I, I would be all over ba- that. Bowers, in his lack of size, and again, we saw him at the, at the Super, Super Bowl, Bowl, and he looks small. He's not a big man. Now, relative to a tight end. The, the, the draft is just hilarious, man, because we're going to have this conversation. I'm a team drafted in the top 10. Do I really want to spend this pick on Brock Bowers? But if I'm at 18, oh, I really want Brock Bowers. Got to have that guy on yeah. my team. But I think that's in play for Cincinnati. We've seen him mocked to Indianapolis in the middle of the first a couple picks earlier. If Brock Bowers is there, then we're solving maybe the T. Higgins problem in a different way, in mean, a different position. But again, yeah. just attack, flood the field with playmakers, and Bowers is one of them. He's a guy, I mean, 
<laughs> like compared with me, Brock Bauer is a very large person. Compared with you, he looks like a child. Um, and compared with Gronk, who he was standing next to at you know, some point during the Super Bowl, he looks very, very small. That being said, the Bengals brought in <coughs> Irv Smith last year. Irv Smith and Brock Bowers are very comparable in terms of size. You know, 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, I like that move that didn't work out. Yeah, exactly. Well, the point, my point being, they've already shown previous that like, they're not going to let a 6'3", 240-pound type body scare them away from the tight end position you know they think that a guy that has those types of receiving skills even if he's quote only that size makes sense within this offense so yeah I mean if Brock Bowers is there at 18 they should run that card in and absolutely make use of that um, I do think if they can so let's let's attack right tackle and free agency yep. let's get in Wenu yep so that we could take the best playmaker available at 18 mm-hmm. or an edge defender a high value position in the middle of the first round and again, I mean, we, the same story with Baltimore. I think veteran free agent edge rusher is, is a real strength this offseason. And even if it's not in wave one, you know, in, in the first couple of days of free agency in March, after the like June, there are going to be guys available in June that make sense to sign for, for a team. First round corner could be in play too at 18. Yeah. I would, I'd be fine with that too. I think there's, there's four or five potential first round picks that could are make you, sense. There. You, DJ Turner was a big. Uh, flag flyer of the model last year yeah big model guy disappointing first year yeah yeah are you at all discouraged by that or just you know yeah rookie growing pains no i'm discouraged by it turner was also a guy that i didn't love his film right so there was two model guys i said last year (laughs) where my my heart is saying no but the model saying yes right Mm -hmm. they were on that end it was blake freeland from the colts yeah and it was dj turner right so i was like the data says turner yes when i'm watching the film i'm like i like him he's fine but I didn't love him, right? Same thing with Freeland. I'm like, oh, man, he's going to struggle early. So, so far, my eye, my eye test has been truer than the data mm. for those two particular players. Okay. Yes. But uh, ready to add depth. All right. Bengals fixed. Cleveland Browns. What are the Browns going to do? We already have people in the chat saying, well, we've got, they've got some cap issues. There's going to be some casualties. Who are the casualties going to be from a salary cap? Brown's currently $24 million over the cap, which, I mean, it's not like, it sounds bad, right? But half a third of the league is over the cap right now. So it's I'm just, I'm just using, here's a simplistic view. Um, I have our PFF death charts, which are available in, not for anybody here, but available as part of PFF IQ for our good, good advertising IQ team. I mean, for our team customers. Yeah. But we have when we when I'm able to look at the depth chart, we've got their WAR, projected WAR, and their um, APY. Just as you know, not the contract structure necessarily, but on the defensive side of the ball, Denzel Ward, Grant Delpit, Dalvin Tomlinson, Miles Garrett, and Zadarius Smith, all over 10 million APY on the offensive side of the ball. It's most of their roster. Usually when you look at a depth chart, there's like two on each side of the ball that are, in, that are making um, 10 million plus. We've got Amari Cooper, David Njoku, Joel Batonio, Wyatt Teller, Jack Conklin, obviously Deshaun Watson, and then Nick Chubb. And one of the more common cut candidates, the Athletic just threw this out there and other places have as well, is Nick Chubb right. as a potential cut candidate for a guy who's been so good but now coming off of injury. Well, they, they are in the same boat as every other AFC team that we were talking about in terms of the quarterback on the big money contract, with the exception being that their quarterback stinks. Like, so far, Deshaun Watson has been terrible for And they team. lack the same type of flexibility because it's fully guaranteed. Right. It's a lot harder to move money. It's a shorter deal. It's the worst of the contracts. Around. It's yeah. the worst of any of the big money second Let me Let me deals. start with this. Our... Um, 
friend of the show, Mike Tannenbaum, well, is uh, on ESPN. He's one of the talking heads, talking heads on mm. ESPN. And so you got to say some stuff. And uh, most people don't like the stuff that Mike says. He says some. He says some stuff that people say that's dumb. Okay, just saying. So he said something that people criticized the other day. What'd he suggested a trade of Deshaun Watson plus a second round pick right. to the Giants to get rid of his contract for Daniel Jones. Right. So I'm not talking about the specifics of what Mike brought up, but he's of the mind as a former cap guy and GM. He would say, if I, he if he was the Browns, he'd be like, "How do I get out of this?" Thing? Right. I would pay people. They have to be thinking about to that get rid point. of this. Are the Browns actually at that point? Or are they going to are they going to still talk themselves into? Well, before he got hurt, you right. know, things looked a little bit better. The, I mean, I if they're not looking at that deal and sort of thinking, okay, let's get a few people in a room and at least spitball how we could get out of this, right? Just no idea is too stupid. Everything's go, on the table. Yeah, you got to spitball there, all this stuff. Go in yeah. there and just give me some ideas, you know? And if, if the if the bottom line ends up being we're stuck with it, then it will go no further and we won't tell anybody that this meeting ever took place. But if that isn't happening or hasn't happened already, they are not doing, you know, due diligence and, and running the thing the way it should be. Now, the problem is... Everybody that was so insistent on making that deal happen in the first place is still there, and their jobs are tied to that, right? I don't know that there's anybody in that building, ownership aside, who can get out of that deal without costing their own job, right? Like, can, can Andrew Barry really go, hey, I found, a, like, I found this deal with the Giants. The Giants will take this thing away from us. We have to give up a second-round pick, et cetera. Can he even make that move without immediately putting his head in the chopping block and just sacrificing his job for the betterment of the team long term? I doubt it. I mean, so I'm working under the basis that they have to roll with Deshaun. Yes. So they're now in this position where they have the worst of the contracts for the big money quarterbacks that are causing problems for every franchise that's got one. Um, The contract is so bad that it is still seen as an undesirable outlier that that the rest of the league simply chooses to ignore, right? Contracts come up, the next quarterback's done. Nobody is is using that as precedent. It's I don't know if that's ever happened before where a quarterback deal has been done and the entire league just chooses to ignore it as actually that didn't set precedent. The the one you want to be looking at is Joe Burrow or Herbert or whatever. We're simply ignoring the Deshaun Watson deal. That's seen as the like the crazy outcome of the desperate franchise that we simply choose to to pretend didn't exist. But it means that it's causing Cleveland more problems than any other franchise who has to deal with this. The league was so mad at it. Yeah. And and they thought I think initially they thought they were mad because they'd have to go down that route. But you're right, nobody's really right. Copied it. But amazingly, they've all just sort of decided, no, we're simply going to ignore that. It's not precedent. It didn't count. It didn't. It doesn't exist. We're choosing to use other contracts as the basis for the next one. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna work under the assumption that he's still there. That he's gonna still be there. Yep. Yes. Um, on PFF.com, we do have. Um, I assume this is this is Brad, right? Yeah, Brad. Um, just yesterday, put his cut candidates out there. He's got Nick Chubb. The Athletic mentioned Nick Chubb. Over the cap mentioned Nick Chubb. Over the cap actually put percentages on it as well. And Nick Chubb is one of the highest um, predicted cut candidates in the NFL. Basically, um, Brad suggesting a hypothetical pay cut of almost twelve million to almost six million for yes. for for Nick Chubb if he's willing to take that. I would. Look, I think Nick Chubb is one of the few running backs that does make a difference mm-hmm. and has consistently over time when we talk about make a difference. In, in, a, in a random vacuum year, can you do that? Sure. 
consistently over time, Nick Chubb has elevated the Browns in their running attack. So I think the idea of a, of a pay cut makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm curious to know what happens at. Does it make sense for him though? Like, why would he take? Oh, that? for him, I don't. I mean, if you can do this, I'm, I'm only now, talking from a team standpoint. It is. I mean, from the why would Nick Chubb want to stay in Cleveland point of view, it is a really good run blocking offensive line. Like that. That's that has to bear or factor into his decision making. Let's say that happens, right? The Browns come to him. They say, "Hey, Nick, uh, here are your choices. We cut you, or you take a pay cut by six million dollars this year. What do you want to do?" I mean, on the one hand, of course, you want to, you'll get cut and you'll go get a big contract somewhere else. But you do have to factor in wherever I end up is unlikely to have an offensive line or a run-blocking offensive line as good as the one I have in front of me right now. How much is that worth to my career going forward? Right. So I think, and I think those guys will be in place, right? Jack Conklin at right tackle, he's battled injuries. He's got a huge cap number. He the, the Browns are one year away from being able to cut him and save any money. So I, I do think the line's going to be intact. And it's a good line in addition to, like, Dewan Jones, who had to step right. in and play, is now backup. they got things to figure out there as far as, you know, his playing time or, you know, flipping him to left tackle to compete with uh, Jedrick Wills, whatever it might be. Um, but the other part about the Browns is they completely transformed their defense last offseason mm-hmm. from one of the worst to one of the best. And they did it by a late – a late add of Zadarius Smith, also, but aggressive moves of Dalvin Tomlinson, I think a shrewd move of Obo Okoronkwo. Um, they've got a lot of those pieces back in place. So I think it's another year of like bargain basement toward the end, those edge rushers that we're going to mention for every team. Mm-hmm. you know, Continue to add depth there, maybe on the interior of the defensive line, like they did with Shelby Harris last year. He's going to be a free agent. They had him for almost nothing. So I think that's how the defense goes this offseason. Offensively, do the Browns have to try to make a – assuming they, they maneuver the cap stuff, David Njoku is another guy that's a potential cut candidate. But, man, did he start to figure it out last year, man. Yeah, coming off a really a, good year. As a playmaker, like a legit playmaker. Because I'm going to come back to if, – if the Browns are going to get Deshaun Watson back to 2020, right? This is a while ago now. 2020 standards or 2019 standards. I think they got to do it. With better pass catchers, it can't just be Amari Cooper and David Njoku. It's got to continue. It's got to get even better. And how are the Browns going to be able to do that this year? Yeah, I mean, Amari Cooper is destined to become the next, just the the latest step in his career, where somebody looks up, sees twenty million dollars a year attached to his name, and goes, eh, "Do we really want to be paying Amari Cooper twenty million a year, even though he makes some difference to every offense he's on? Right. Ah, is he that good? Like, he's he's going to get." He's, he's destined to be on the way out again, right? Just because the, the next team is and, cap tight. And by the way, the Browns, once again, don't have a first-round pick. They're still you know, dealing with the residuals from uh, the Deshaun Watson trade. Their first pick is not until 55. Now, I thought the Browns did a nice job last year, given fourth and fifth-round picks that they had and potential offensive line starters that they brought in and Cedric Tillman at receiver. I think they got to attack receiver, though. Again, they took chances, you know, tried to trade for an Elijah Moore. I, I think those complementary pass catchers are still lacking there and they're going to need more consistency there even if Cooper's there and then if they make a move where they're like hey we're going to move on from Amari Cooper like you said like other teams it's just a year where they got to go receiver and you and you probably have to start by saving money at at running back with Nick Chubb so who's your favorite in the mid rounds for them I don't know where Ricky Pearsall ends up I think he's I mentioned him on a a different show yesterday and everybody's like nodding like Ricky Pearsall from Florida 
becomes the uh, one of the guys that a lot of people are talking about. I'm a big Xavier Worthy fan from Texas for what he's worth. Like at pick 55, yeah, could be good. For I really Xavier like Worthy. Worthy as a as a deep threat. He's um, our friend Brett Coleman has been putting receiver comps out there, and some of the some of the com- uh, the comp season is hilarious because I'm not going to get off the who's Worthy's. He gave no my he gave someone else Mike Wallace. Yeah, everyone's using. It was Mike like Wallace Malik comp. Neighbors or something like that, and I was just like, "That's drunk. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it." Um, but again, like I don't like to trash comps because sometimes there's like one thing that a guy does that reminds you. Yeah, but you Xavier need Worthy context for what the comp is. Right. So Mike Wallace is my Xavier Worthy comp because I'm seeing a deep speed, deep speed, long leg, deep speed guy who body catches. And I don't know if he's going to be a full route tree type of guy, but there's value just letting this dude run post and goes and in, in, in over routes and go get him, right? I think Xavier Worthy could be that guy. I have a Mike Wallace comp in every draft. Mm. Will Fuller was a Mike right. Wallace comp, yeah, right? Yeah. So then, then you add it to your comp mix, and you could have a Will Fuller comp if yeah. they're a little bit shorter. But to me, that's what Worthy can be. And if, if Cooper is still there and is your high-volume guy and Xavier Worthy is your take-the-top-off-the-defense guy, I think that could work really well for the Browns. Yeah, Worthy is a good one. I like Worthy a lot. Um, Roman Wilson, the Michigan wide receiver that tore up the senior bowl, I think would be a good option there. If Devontae Walker slipped far enough for them to grab him, I I think that would be an amazing pick. Um, Tez is going to be fascinating because Rick Spielman on on the show on Monday mentioned the same thing, the horrible senior bowl. I think everybody's going to talk about the dude did not catch the ball. And if that does drop his value a ton, I'm like, all right, I, that's, that's an thing. upside play. I right? think there, I think a smart team could be looking at that and saying, let's hope everyone focuses yeah. on that because his tape from college, I think, is a lot better than that. Um, Jalen Polk, my guy from Washington, I think, would yep. be a steal in those mid rounds. And then the other guy that I would mention in that area is Jamari Thrash, the Louisville wide receiver. That guy, I think, has really, really high end ability. So I know, like this is this is my strategy every year, and you could say, well, the Browns kind of did that over the last couple of years. They brought they drafted Cedric Tillman and David Bell in the middle rounds. Yeah. They traded for Elijah Moore. None of those have completely hit yet. I do think Tillman has an opportunity to be a guy. And Elijah on Moore the too. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I there's a world where even if they decide we've got to get rid of Amari Cooper, like if they hit on that mid round wide receiver we were talking about, which is not a guarantee obviously but like tank dell was a third rounder right if one of those guys is a tank dell type of receiver right away right whichever one they pick added to elijah moore added to cedric tillman getting a you know getting better in in year two and if they keep david and joku around that's still a really good receiving core even if you have to get rid of amari cooper and if you keep him it's insane yeah um so again the the browns have to um, I would also, you know, keep trading, trading down, and adding volume draft picks when you when you think about their, the Watson cap situation, but also some of their young, uh, you know, Denzel Ward's already getting paid at corner, Martin Emerson Jr. and Greg Newsom, yeah, they're, they're going to have to get paid at some point. <laughs> they're a team where you you look at it and you're like, okay, they're already getting squeezed in terms yeah. of decisions, and I can see the ones on the horizon coming. Right. It's like, God, we're going to have to make some and that's really good, rough calls. It's a good problem to have, man. It's a I good, mean, ish. Right. It would be a better it, problem to have if your quarterback wasn't bad right now. The one other thing to keep an eye on, too, again, they've had a really good offensive line. I I think our grades are right. I mean, Jedrick Wills has not developed as a former first-round left yeah. tackle. That's been the one weakness on their line. I would immediately line. make – I mean, Dewan Jones should be starting for them, whether it's right or left tackle. They need to find a way of getting him in the starting lineup. And if that's benching and or getting rid of Jedrick Wills, cool. 
The problem is Jack Conklin and Dewan Jones have both been right tackles right. over the last several years. And Conklin is probably on his last year there, so yeah, you know. Um, but it would the, be it the would chat's be... asking about trading Conklin. I, I, the, the it's not the best move from a cap standpoint yet. But I, but again, if you're trying to think about next year's cap situation and everything, it might it might be in play, especially if you have Dewan Jones who could step in. Yeah, it would just given what we saw from Dewan Jones, it would be brutal to waste a year of his putting him back on the bench just because you know Jack Conklin comes back and you can't get rid of him yet all right we talked about a lot of stuff they fixed sure Cleveland all right Cleveland Browns other than the deal that they can't get away from but man if the dude stays healthy maybe it could be okay and or becomes good and he plays like he did four years ago yeah all right uh Pittsburgh Steelers what do we do in Pittsburgh here the rumors coming out of Pittsburgh is that they have their starting quarterback on the roster. Um, on the roster? I was on Pittsburgh radio last week with our friends, Pony and Muller. And Pony presented, he said, I'm going to give you a list of quarterback options. And in my head, I'm thinking, all right, you got yeah, two or three options here. <laughs> he listed seven scenarios. Seven. All in a row. Okay. Um, I don't remember all of them. Right. But it was some combination of it's Kenny Pickett, it's Kenny Pickett plus Mason Rudolph, it's Ryan Tannehill in free agency, you know, to pair with Arthur Smith again. Right. It's trade for Justin Fields. Yeah. It's tra- uh, draft a Bo Nix or a Michael Penix at 20 in the first round. Um, it's some combination. There were two, two others. Ben, call Big Ben from retirement. That wasn't one of them. But, they were. Uh, but they those were, were the types. Those are the options Pittsburgh's looking at. They were rumored to be a potential trade partner for Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, Mac Jones. Any quarterback who is not going to be with their 2023 team mm. has been rumored to go to Pittsburgh. And it's like, man, I like playing GM. I, GM's fun, man. But I don't want to be the GM when these are my options. Man, this is challenging, figuring out the quarterback position. I think I landed on uh, the, the unknown box of Michael <laughs> Penix and Bo Nix, right? Draft somebody. The same way I said, sure, draft Kenny Pickett two years ago. But if two years from now... He's not the guy. Move on and draft the next guy. So we're here. Maybe Kenny Pickett's not the guy. Draft the next one. So, Sam, what the heck are we going to do at quarterback here in Pittsburgh? Hmm. Yeah. I don't love any of those options, to be honest. Take a different job. Take a different, Take a different job. job. Hold out for a different job. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess given – I'm not – I don't know that you can love anything that we've seen from Kenny Pickett, Mason Rudolph. They already cut – Trubisky, you know, I feel like anything else else is probably the way to go. The Mason Rudolph thing is fascinating because the offense for two games did look much better, and they scored thirty. And, yeah, but, but like Rudolph, you, if you're objectively watching the game, yeah, you can't say, well, Mason Rudolph's five yard slant that George Pickens took eighty six yards to the house. It was all Mason. Rudolph provided the context that the Giants got with. Tyrod Taylor and Cutlets last year, right? It's like neither of those guys is good. It's just that they showed you how bad it was with the first guy in charge. You know what I mean? At the same time, just to like... Yeah. But at the same time, the previous year, the Giants had a good offense with Daniel Jones. Right. But it, but my point being, they sometimes you get players like that where they come in and yeah, it's better than what's there before, but it's not the answer. It's just like, it just shows you how bad it's gotten with what was starting before that. 
So, you know, Ty, you, you don't come out of that giant season and go, oh, maybe Tyra Taylor's the answer. Maybe we can put him back in and that we can go, like, he showed some good stuff. No, you're like, we know Tyra Taylor's a backup. We just got to see how bad it had gotten with Daniel Jones, a starter. The same thing, I think, is true in Pittsburgh. You, you're not saying uh, that Mason Rudolph is the future. You're just like, this shows you how bad Kenny Pickett was playing because Rudolph's able to come in as, like, QB3 and still make it look better. That's like that means we need a new quarterback, even though the guy's a first round pick. The one thing that keeps me somewhat intrigued by Kenny Pickett is the you know the first year outside of Matt Canada's right. system, right? Even when there's a midseason offensive coordinator change, we talked about it at the time. Like it's still the same system, it's same the same install. You don't have the whole off season, and for all the jokes around Arthur Smith and doesn't use his playmakers and whatever he did in Atlanta. He did get the Atlanta job because of what he did rejuvenating Ryan Tannehill in his career, which is why Ryan Tannehill's name is being brought up. Yeah, um, but Tannehill's—I mean, he's done at this point. The, the, my concern with Tannehill is you is the physical decline as he gets into his mid to late thirties. That used to be a time where quarterbacks declined before Tom yeah. Brady and T Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers started defying those things. But like you're actually seeing that from Tannehill, so that would be my concern rolling with him. An Arthur Smith offense does become very intriguing with either Russell Wilson or Justin Fields running it, to be honest. Now, <laughs> it's not great. Like you don't look you're not excited by any combination of of options available to Pittsburgh at quarterback. But if you sort of if you were presenting that abstract to me, Russell Wilson in an Arthur Smith offense with those Pittsburgh playmakers and or Justin Fields in an Arthur Smith offense with those Pittsburgh playmakers. I'm at least willing to hear more, you know? I'm intrigued in a way that I'm not when, it's, when the answer is Mason Rudolph or Kenny Pickett. What, I mean, the Fields, the, I will remain intrigued by Fields, and this is, this is just the nature of the NFL, right? Like the Bears are going to move on from Justin Fields. Teams are going to, the, the Titans, were, they moved on from Ryan Tannehill, but that's someone else's treasure because their quarterback situation is, is that bad. I'm intrigued enough by Fields, but maybe not not for like a second round pick or anything like that. I mean, if if it's like, hey, I'll throw you a third or a fourth to have a chance to see if Fields in year four, with a new voice, with a new system, and 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 building around his legs, and hoping that he develops as a passer. If 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 that's if that's the investment, I'm willing to take maybe that option. If I'm Pittsburgh, I don't want to give up anything beyond that from a draft capital standpoint though no probably not i mean it, yeah it, it does depend on what the price tag is but at least conceptually justin fields within that offense i think makes a lot of sense like a lot of play action a lot of movement for the quarterback relying on his his athleticism and giving him big play potential without having him be you know the most efficient passer in the world is that where we're gonna go i i mean like i said i mean i'm intrigued you sell me that i'm willing to listen Steelers pick at 20, and, you know, the thing we'll mention for the next two months, picking uh, a center at 20. Mm. Sounds really really intriguing for Pittsburgh. But you gotta, you got to make sure that you feel good about the quarterback ahead of that before you get there. Um, I think the thing that makes Pittsburgh difficult to peg here, we thought that their offseason was fantastic last year, right? I, I do think the on-paper – players that they've added, the way they drafted last year, the people that they brought in, there's a lot of good. There's a lot to like there. But either either the quarterback's not very good in Pickett or Matt Canada 
was was not very good and you didn't get to see any of that so there is this world where arthur smith comes in and uses the george pickens and deontay johnson's and darnell washington's and pat fryermuth's of the world and then the two-headed monster of Najee harris and jalen warren which had they had spurts like warren was outstanding for much of the season Najee had spurts like there's a world where this whole thing works and it's just making sure that the offensive line is is tidied up a little bit. I would I think left tackle needs to be in play in the first round. I don't know if those guys come off the board a little bit too high, but there should be an option at tackle again. They they drafted Broderick Jones last year, had him at right tackle, whether they flip him or whatever they they want to do. But Dan Moore probably needs to get replaced at left tackle. Then that offensive line looks pretty solid across the board. But I think first round, if you if you're rolling with Pickett or you're trading for Fields. Offensive line in the first round, I think, is very much in play for Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, they don't have an overabundance of draft picks. They've got basically their regular draft, except yeah, instead seven. of a yeah. instead of a fifth, they have another fourth, I think. <coughs> but, Rams comp pick at one twenty. Yeah, so it means that um, you know you're gonna if you're taking Fields, it's probably costing you the second round pick, right? That's fifty one overall. You're left with a first rounder, twenty overall. You're left with a third rounder, and then you know some day three picks, but. I wouldn't want to do that, but I, I wouldn't hate it, you know? Like, you could sell me on that. It's costing your second-round pick. You still have your first. You still have everything else to play with. And now Justin Fields is your quarterback in this offense. I, I could work with that. So if, if we're working under the premise, I, I uh, brought up my, my NBA analogy to Rick again, who doesn't completely get it, <laughs> the idea of continuing to take shots at quarterbacks, right? You're maneuvering – you're basically maneuvering your entire roster to get – Top, high-end starting quarterback. Right. The, if we're if we're playing that game, the maneuver is either mystery box of draft pick, or year you know year four of Fields, year four of Justin Fields. There's been some promise there. There's something to build around. If we're playing that game, it's just take a shot. We get one year of Fields. If it works, maybe he's our guy. At least one year. Right. At least. But if it doesn't work, well, we we go and we maneuver to the next guy. Right. I'm okay with that if we're playing that game. There's, but you could also make that statement, okay, we've got one year to see Kenny Pickett outside of Mad Canada. Mm-hmm. Like those, but those are the options for, for new stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't hate the Fields thing. I just I don't want to give up pick 52. I don't, wanna, I, to I don't do want to do it, one. but I, I think I would for that cost. Like Fields is still, still something of an unknown, but he's – one of the most athletic quarterbacks in the NFL. He's got a big arm. He can make enough plays. I mean, this is Mike Tomlin is a guy that makes miracles happen with vastly inferior quarterback situations than whatever you can build with Justin Fields as your quarterback. You get one more year of him for cheap. You at the same time as you're doing this, you pick up the fifth year option. You get one more year for modest money. And then you figure out what to do at the end of that. I think given the receivers that they have, given the playmakers generally that they have, you can build a pretty good offense uh, around Justin Fields, which, by the way, probably offsets some of the weaknesses in the offensive line as well, helping you along the way. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. Maybe in in the run game it does. Yeah. In pass pro, it exposes them. Nah. In pass pro, it does. Fields exposes the offensive line in pass protection because he does hold the ball a lot longer. You need um, the one thing the Steelers, the Steelers' offensive line has looked a little bit better. The reason why we've had to explain to fans why Dan Moore had like a grade of three but didn't give up any pressures is because the ball was coming out so quickly in Pittsburgh the last couple of years in this system. 
that would be the one concern. You would have to tidy up the uh, left tackle, center. You'd have to tidy up the pass protection, I think, for Fields. He would help them in the run game. I agree. Mm -hmm. Um, Defensively, there's a lot to like about Pittsburgh. T.J. Watt, Alex Highsmith coming off the edge. Highsmith had a 90 grade last year to go with a Watt in his elite grade last year. Uh, Joey Porter Jr. looked like a hit with that first pick of the second round. Um, I think there's still there's definitely still depth to add at corner. That's another one that could be in play at 20. Yeah, um, the Kool Aids and uh, Wiggins and some of those guys. That, again, I don't know where they end up landing in the NFL, but there's four or five potential first round corners that I think are all in play. So I think we're looking at offensive line or corner. Yep. for Pittsburgh in the first round. Uh, once they figure out that quarterback situation. Yeah, corner I think is one of the most popular kind of first-round draft picks for them. But they're, like if you make that deal, if you send a second-round pick to get Justin Fields, um, they're a massive trade-down candidate as well. Like ha- yeah, have to be. I mean, if, if I'm sitting there at 20, I would do whatever I could to even right. get out of the first round, don't care, get into that. The problem with this draft, as Jim Nagy was highlighting, you don't want to go too far, so it's not load up on day three picks. It's right, like but if you could – if you could flip pick number 20 for, let's say, two picks of like yeah. 50 and 51 yeah. to, to replace that, the 50 that you need to get rid of. I think the 30 to 80 range for Pittsburgh would be good to try to yeah. make up for anything that they lose in a trade there. Mm-hmm. All right. Did we fix the Steelers? Sure. I mean, we gave them options. <laughs> we gave them some stuff to yeah, do. We're not going to fix everybody. It's just, you know, that's why we said LOL JK when we, used to, when we did this before. Um. Where are we going now? NFC North? Mm-hmm. Speaking of Justin Fields, Chicago Bears time. Yeah. Gosh, we are one-eighth of the way through the league. This is going to take forever. Yeah. This is fun. These are, these are our most fun shows. Chicago Bears. What are we doing in Chicago? We're trading away Justin Fields to start with. <laughs> We're tra- trade Justin Fields for a two. That would be awesome if they get a two for him. Is there any world where you keep Fields and you keep Caleb Williams? I don't think there's much value in that. But other people are pitching it as a concept. Yeah. Most people that pitch that as a concept don't know ball. Though. Don't know ball. They don't well, you're know. always you've, – this has been your, like, approach. I don't know What's ball. the touchy-feely yeah, thing? Yeah, I like, don't know what's ball. What's the point? You keep them in. No, I would, I, would, compete. I would consider it. I mean, if I can get a two for fields, I'd probably be like, all right, fine. I'm going Caleb Williams and two for fields. Let's go. Um, I don't hate the idea of keeping both. I see no benefit to keeping both. Like, yeah, I know you if, you've, if you've made the decision that you're drafting Caleb Williams, assuming it's him, number one overall, you've also made the decision that Justin Fields isn't good enough to be that guy. Like, all you're doing, if it turns out he is, is making his life more difficult by bringing in his replacement. And, like, the, the absolute best-case scenario for this is you sort of fall into some kind of Joe Montana, Steve Young mesh thing and without any of the like the ways of that working in terms of like salary cap and stuff from back in the day like you just stumble ass backwards into this like quarterback competition that galvanizes the guy you already had at which point you probably could have done that without spending the number one overall pick on his replacement it just it it just feels bad from a process standpoint to me i am even as a you know uncover every rock for your next next quarterback I am perfectly fine with declaring Caleb Williams the guy that we're building around and moving on from Justin Fields. Good. So let's do that as a starting point. If you can get a two for him, great. If Even if it's a three, I'm still probably doing it. Um, best case scenario, we talked with Trevor last week. We talked about best case scenarios for teams in the top ten. The Bears are the only team that have two top ten picks right now. If a Malik Neighbors falls, I don't know 
I don't know if that's possible or not. Everybody's talking about him in the top five or six. But I do wonder if the NFL is going to be a little bit higher on some of the defensive players. And I wonder if some of the tackles go higher, right? The, the, remember last year at this time, we all had Paris Johnson going 12, 14, 15. And it's like, no, he went the, – the Cardinals are ready to take him at three. Yeah. And he wasn't an elite tackle. So that if the tackles get pushed up the board – or if some of the defensive players get pushed up the board, like Jared Verse is a top 10 caliber player in a lot of drafts. I wonder if Malik Neighbors is there at nine yeah. for the Bears. To me, that would be a grand slam, man. Caleb Williams plus Neighbors or Adunze, I would take him too. But I think Neighbors in particular, if he falls to nine. Yeah, I mean, I think it's entirely possible that the whichever one of those guys doesn't go first, Neighbors or Adunze could be available, you know, at the fringes of the top 10. And depending on how you view those two guys, you would think that he, that if you if you're a fan of the one that slides, that will seem an absolute bargain. Like Adunze, I think could be the number one receiver in most draft classes. Um, people are making the same argument about Neighbors as well. Uh, and if you believe that his weakness or his flaw right now is fixable, then he's like a clear number one in almost any draft class out there. So if he's available at nine, you'd be like, hell yeah. The other interesting thing, as I mentioned about the free agent market before, the receivers, Higgins, Pittman, Mike Evans, Marquise Brown, Darnell Mooney is listed at six on the free agent market on the PFF uh, free agent board. But the projected contract from Brad is just one year, nine million. Gabe Davis is the next guy on the board. It's one year, 12 million. It seems like Brad is anticipating what I was kind of talking about before. Like Jacoby Myers, I I like Jacoby Myers quite a bit as a player, but once you get into like four year and four years, twelve million, four years, fourteen, or Corey Davis a couple of years ago, loved, liked him as a two, but at fifteen, sixteen million a year, don't love that. Right. Is Brad anticipating this kind of market correction for the tier two wide receiver? If that's the case, would Mooney come back to the Bears for something like that? Like if you added a Mooney's the type of guy where he if he's your three and he's just a you know, use your speed, get down the field type of guy. That looks great to me. I just don't want him as my two. Um, I wonder if that's an option for the Bears to try to keep him back on another prove-it deal. Yeah, absolutely, possibly. I mean, it's an interesting, when you look at the contract projections for these guys, he doesn't have many people at all getting any kind of long-term deal from the wide receiver group. There's a couple of guys getting more than uh, a, a couple of years. Everyone else is signing for some variety of short-term deal whether it's the franchise tag for a couple right. of the top guys or That's the simply... scarcity issue we're talking about right like the, the the true wide receiver one does have a massive impact but the next group they're competing with the ricky pearsalls and right. jalen polks and the guy and, and xavier worthies that we're talking about and even though those guys are unknown they're much cheaper and you could say comparable talent wise you know yeah and, a year and or two. i think having a sort of transition that's never been easier I mean the strike rate now for wide receivers seems incredibly high in the draft and okay every now and again you're you're gonna hit one that doesn't have an immediate impact but look at the number that do now uh, the other big question for Chicago this offseason is Jalen Johnson coming off his career year at corner 90.8 PFF grade last year one of the best corners in the league and they're kind of at a standstill as far as negotiations go, is he a, just a franchise tag? Just a tag and and figure it out. Or are we going to try to lock him up? I mean, I think they'll try and lock him up, but I don't know if they'll get it done. The point being that the Bears are one of the few teams out there where they have a kind of cap space where they just don't just 
it's not a th- we don't need to think about it like there are teams out there we're like ah oh, we really don't want to have to put the franchise tag on this guy we don't have that kind of flexibility that's chewing up you know almost all of our cap space now we can't maneuver the bears have enough space where they can slap the franchise tag on them if they can get a deal worked worked out great if they can't doesn't matter we in, still got- in part because they already released guard slash center cody whitehair right and uh safety eddie jackson so they they saved about $22 million against the cap already. What a fall to grace, by the way, Eddie Jackson. I mean, both guys, really. I mean, what yeah, year? But, I mean, but, yeah, Eddie Jackson for sure. Eddie Jackson had that year where he looked like he was going to be, you know, the next Earl Thomas or whatever. Yep. And then never came close to that ever again. Yes. Um, so I think um, I want to see a receiver at nine. I want to see maybe another playmaker added to the mix there as well. Um, not necessarily just Mooney, but you know they've got Mooney hitting free agency. They've got Equinemia St. Brown and you know guys hitting free agency. I want to see another addition there. Jalen Johnson, we tag and bring him back. And then, as we've said for a couple of years now, the Bears rebuild has hit the point where they need to uh, attack with um, enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Hmm. The defensive line. That's the Jim Harbaugh line. I'm going to attack the day with enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Okay. That needs to be this offseason when it comes to the Bears and the defensive line. Last year, they spent two draft picks on Gervon Dexter, Zach Pickens. Uh, don't think that means anything as far as uh, there's still a lot more work to do up front. They traded for Montez Sweat. There goes their second-round pick, but they at least have him locked up. Defensive line needs to be probably the biggest focus once we get past those two top 10 draft picks. Yeah, and it, it will be interesting to see what the whether, whether they do lean in free agency with some of the money that they have. You know, We said it's a really good group of sort of capable impact level veteran free agents or whether they they're like we're rebuilding still we're resetting the clock again at quarterback so we're almost sort of you know pushing into the future even more this rebuild project do we just keep going young players and youth and off and then draft rather than actually bringing in some established veterans Bryce Huff will give to everybody Mr. Pass rush win good win rate right yeah. unbelievable pa- pure pass rusher coming from the Jets, um, Danell Hunter on the market. You now do they they just they just made their big splash move at edge rusher right? I don't um, on our free agent board you've got Josh Allen the edge from the Jags. I think the Jags are going to do what they can to to keep him home. Right. Brian Burns, Danell Hunter, Bryce Huff, Chase Young, Jonathan Grenard. Grenard might be the guy coming off a really good season in Houston. Where you, you might not need to pay him twenty plus million, but you can get him at a decent price, and he'll be a complimentary piece. Uh, Brad has him at three years, sixteen million per year. That feels like a good fit. I'm sure every Bears uh, prognostication has talked about Grenard as this hybrid. You know, not breaking the bank, but really nice addition opposite Montez Sweat. Yeah, that makes some sense. Brian Burns would be interesting. I mean, they're gonna are they gonna tag him again? <laughs> Just keep him, keep him in Carolina. <laughs> Having turned down what was it, two first round picks that they turned down from the Rams to keep him around. It's a whole and now, new, it's a whole new regime there, though. Yeah, but don't they feel? Doesn't the entire Panthers thing feel like sort of we won't get we won't do the right thing on Brian Burns because we turned down that? Like the whole thing feels like regret that we didn't take yeah. this deal. So now we're not just letting him go and we're not we're like we're we're continuing down the Brian Burns path because we didn't take two first round picks when we had it on the table. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what they end up doing there. It feels like a lot of the Panthers moves like before they traded uh, Christian McCaffrey was like let's just keep some 
star power. Huff is the perfect move, though. Like yeah. he, He's a guy that will be 26 next season who has been one of the best uh, situational pass rushers in the NFL who last year showed that he can scale that up into a much more of a full-time workload. And even if it only... Like even if last year represents his ceiling and is sort of the, the optimum role and distribution that you can use him for, when you have a Montez Sweat and then add you know, another player in the draft, that's perfect. Like even if he's that and nothing else... And there's still the chance that he could be more than that, you know, with an even bigger role. Yeah, I think I think for the Bears, does this offseason look I mean, then well you have the interior defensive line again is still an issue. They spent the two picks last year. They got a nice year out of Andrew Billings, but interior of the defensive line also needs help. Um, I wonder if this offseason looks a little bit like what the Browns did last year. The Browns went into last offseason with just Miles Garrett. They had been stitching it together for a couple seasons, and then they added the guys we mentioned earlier in the show a while ago, Dalvin Tomlinson and Zadarius Smith and Oba Okoronkwo, one high-priced big guy. Are they in the mix for Justin Matabuike from the Ravens? Are they in the mix for Christian Wilkins from the Dolphins, the one first-rounder from 2019 on the line, D-line, that hasn't been locked up long-term? I think there's one big splash play in there, plus a Grenard or a Huff, Plus, you know, the bargain basement. I mean, I think there's three, four, five additions that are needed on that defensive line in Chicago to really compete here. Yeah, I, I suspect Wilkins gets franchise tagged. Um, Grover Stewart would be a really interesting one. He's been a ridiculously productive player for the Colts in the interior. Yep. Um, he's a little older, so I'm not sure he fits necessarily a kind of longer-term outlook and strategy. And I think then, you want to mix, though, because I think the Bears yeah. can compete. I think they can compete right away, but you also really want to be competing two years from now. The right? one name that keeps jumping out, though, from the interior defensive line free agent group that I'm going to come back to time and time again this offseason is Javon Kinlaw, former first-round pick, really? who was terrible for the first few years of his career. Terrible and injured and terribly injured. Yeah. Um, and then last season, we sort of saw actually look he can make an impact now you know once he's a bit more healthy now really good defensive line around him in a way that isn't going to be the case in Chicago but you at least saw for the first time in his NFL career hey look he can actually make an impact he showed some flashes right for sure. he's only 26 years yeah. old like he does fit that idea of you know in in three years what could this group look like he could be part of that in three years I thought you were going to say Maurice Hurst no currently at number 95 on our board um, I think when it comes to defensive line, uh, Bears can get some of those one or two of the high-end guys. Like, they can afford all this. One or two of the high-end guys plus go into the 90s and the 100s right. in, on, our, on our free agent board. The Mike Danas of the world and the Shelby Harris's of the world, the Maurice Hursts of the world. A lot of the guys that the Browns – do what the Browns did last offseason and reshape that defensive line in Chicago. I think they're fixed. Hmm. With Caleb Williams and Malik Neighbors, potentially. Yep. At the front. All right, let's go Detroit Lions. How are we doing on time? Horrible. Great. <laughs> really terrible. We're giving every team their love. Uh, the Lions, remember, we've, we've talked a lot about their three-year rebuild, and they spent their time in the trenches and then worked their way out a little bit more to the perimeter, hit on uh, so many draft picks over the last couple of years. Amonra St. Brown in the fourth round, like he accelerated their receiver rebuilds because they had nobody right remember they were just signing dj chark for one-year deals and like that's how they were doing it uh, now this detroit roster in a much better spot man and a lot of what they're anticipating is like hey what when and how much are we going to pay panay sewell and make sure we've got yeah. enough money for aiden hutchinson in a couple of years right those are the types of decisions they're making right now in detroit 
I do think when we look at team needs, um, they need a starting guard. Jonah Jackson hits free agency at left guard. Um, and then the secondary, where last year a lot of their moves, this was like, this was their last piece that they got to, I think, in the Lions rebuild, was the secondary. And last year was a big, was a combination of, you know, a one-year flyer on Emmanuel Mosley, uh, you know, a trade on for the one last year of C.J. Gardner-Johnson. There's more work to do in the secondary. Yeah, and they, they're... That roster is in very good shape right now, in large part because of the draft that they had last year that was so maligned. Um, but the other thing that's enabled them to have a really good roster and, and have a lot of cap space and be in such a good situation is they've had that Jared Goff contract, which the majority of the money was already picked up by the time they got hold of him. The longer that deal <coughs> went, the cheaper it looks compared, you know, in comparison to every other uh, high-priced quarterback contract. But now it's reaching the point where you're going to have to re-up him again, right? Presuming that that's what you're going to do, which I think it is, given how he's performed within that offense. So if you're going to give Jared Goff a new contract, number one, what does it look like? And number two, if that's going to be bumping him back to something approaching top-of-the-market money, that changes the dynamic. Now, now you're going to, now, now the fact that you have a lot of cap space, most of that is going on that deal, and you're going to need these young guys, you know, earning not a lot of money to offset some of that yeah that's gonna be an interesting one i thought they um they solved the mid middle class qb puzzle for a little while and now they'll have to but in a non-repeatable way right it it only works for a couple years right and you know they got a lot out of it man they almost got a super bowl appearance out of it they got um continued improvement not not only from Goff, but from the rest of the roster, right? I mean, there was, when, when they first traded for him, it was almost like you go be a facilitator for these young players that we're going to bring in who are eventually going to be the core of the Lions, and you're not going to be a part of it, right? I mean, they may not have thought about that, but, you know, I think a lot of people around the league saw that. Goff was a throw-in. Yeah. Um, so they got a ton out of him already. So now... Where do the Lions go from a team-building standpoint? I do think just every single week when we talked about the Lions, we said, okay, pass rusher opposite Aiden Hutchinson, in part because there were injuries and, um, you know, they James Houston was hurt all season and he'll be back. But I do think defensive line can definitely use some depth or yeah. an impact player at edge, and I think the secondary needs to be addressed. I think people are are rewriting history a little bit when it comes to that Jared Goff trade slash contract. Like, Brad Holmes being on the other side of the deal and having been part of sort of acquiring golf in the first place, it was absolutely part of the equation. And if, if Brad Holmes had been like, this guy stinks, I hate him, it's probably not happening that way, right? But nobody believed Brad Holmes when he said, when he said, we believe in Jared Goff, he's our guy. Nobody actually believed him. But also, I don't think, I know, I don't know that he believed that when he said it out loud, right? I don't think that that was necessarily a reflection of his honest opinion, because if it was, the deal would not have looked the way it looked, right? The deal, that trade happened, the trade is the value that it was because Goff was seen as a drag, not like a boost. They weren't like, hey, we're getting, we're getting a quarterback in exchange for this guy and all this other stuff. Like, Goff was seen as a negative on that side of the trade overall in the, the structure of the deal. Now, a negative that had a chance to turn out well for them in that, hey, what if he does bounce back a little bit and we can go with him as a starting quarterback for a couple of years and then the deal, as it, as it has transpired, doesn't look that bad and we're not, you know, and absolutely, like a deal with upside. 
but it was a negative. Like, they weren't looking at this going, we are stealing Jared Goff from them as part of this deal to get rid of Matthew Stafford and get, you know, like, let's not, you know, just because he said out loud, I love Jared Goff, I have total faith in him, does not mean that they believe from the very outset that they were, like, robbing the Rams blind in this trade. It's just worked out really well for them. All that said, um, defensive side of the ball here for Detroit? Yeah, I mean, was it last year or the year before where we kind of looked at this group and you started reading off the list of, like, really young, talented pass rushers? And it's like they've got both Aquaras, Josh Pascal, Levi Muzurike, like all these guys they brought in. Almost none of them have, have panned out. Like Aiden Hutchinson was obviously the one really big hit. Alim McNeil has been good as well. And then they got the, the sort of bonus, the added um, impact of uh, – the situational rusher who was injured all last year. James Houston. Yes, James yeah, Houston. Earlier. So those kind of three guys have formed something of a core, but all of the other guys that we listed out have basically done nothing, and they need to be replaced or at least, you know, change for other guys that could come in and make an impact. Are they in the market for your three down, Jonathan Grenard, Daniil Hunter? There were rumors about, I mean, Lions fans were asking, <laughs> will, will Quasi and the Vikings trade Hunter in the middle of the season yeah. to their division rival because they've made trades before? Is Daniel Hunter a really good fit here to uh, pair with Aiden Hutchinson? And they're in this fascinating world now where, you know, NFC Championship game had it won before letting it slip away. Like, do they, how do they treat that? You know, one of the biggest offseason dynamics facing every NFL team is how did they view themselves right now based off the most recent evidence, which is how the last season just went. The Giants last year were a great example of a team getting that wrong badly. Right? They just completely misevaluated where they were as a franchise, and I think that led them to do some mistakes, to do some bad things last season when it came to these types of decisions. So you're the Lions. You were pretty good a year ago. You were expected to be very good this year. You were. You got to the NFC Championship game. You almost knocked off the 49ers, who for a big period of the season were the best team in the NFL. What do you think of yourself as a team now? Do you think that you are like one, again, the classic one player away? We are one big move away from winning a Super Bowl in 2025. Do you go hard and go for something like a Danelle Hunter or, you know, a big splash move like that? Or do you have a little more self-control and go, look, last season was great. And Dan Campbell has at least suggested right after the fact that this might be the case. We might never get back there again. Like, we can't go crazy. We need to do this the right way. And let's be, you know, self-restrained and let's be careful. It's a great, it's a great point, Sam. I would say I think they're smart enough to know keep your foot on the gas. Keep doing what we've been doing. Um, <clears throat> they hit on four of those top 50 or whatever draft picks. I, yeah. I think Jack Campbell is going to be a hit at the end of the day, but the other three for sure. They hit on those draft picks. They're not, they're, they're not living in this world with the extra draft capital anymore. So I think they have to continue to – hit on their picks because they'll have fewer picks but then same thing if you're really looking two and three years down the road here you keep hitting on draft picks just like the saints had that 2017 draft class where they all came due and ryan ramchek and kamara right. and trey hendrickson you have to anticipate being able to pay all those guys in a few years and as i mentioned hutchinson and sewell the lions now have this world where they've drafted so well three and four years from now those dudes have to get paid so you have to continue you can't be just throwing money around like crazy a Daniil Hunter move, though, I don't think is one of those, right? I think that's a move. The When when you say this team thinks that they're one player away, my mind goes to that, I always mentioned this 2008 Jaguars team 
that traded from like 25 to 8 to go get Derek Harvey because they thought they were one pass rusher away, right? The Lions aren't going to do that. They're sitting right. there at 29. They're not going to trade into the top 10, I don't think, to say we're going to, you know, they did a couple years ago to go get Jamison Williams, so who knows? I don't think the Lions are going to say we're one player away. We're going to trade all of our draft capital to do that. I, I think they're smarter than that um, to just kind of stay the course um, and add that depth. But I don't think a, a power play for a defensive lineman like Daniil Hunter is the wrong move. I think that is a, a good move. But I, I think the one position that they need to attack with draft capital and in free agency is cornerback. We've seen a few teams now have um, individual drafts that have been so good that they've completely changed like the entire trajectory of a franchise. I don't know that we've ever seen one do it again like the next year. I mean, the, the Lions, you know, all the conversation about the Lions draft last year was simply about value and, you know, position, uh, the, the allocation of resources. It's more so when you got the guys, yeah, not who you got. not who they got, which right. I think was almost universally praised as getting good players regardless of where you got them. But the point being, if the strike rate from their rookie season continues forward, that is the type of draft that changes the entire outlook of a franchise going forward. What if they did it again? I mean, they have four picks in the top 100 again. If they did that twice, like, okay, we go in and we nail three or four of the first four picks we have in this year's draft. I mean, that like everything changes. The Lions now become like the team in the NFC for the next few years. They have a chance to become a powerhouse. And it, look, it, the other part of it is they can't say we're one player away because, I mean, the Packers could be better than them next year. The way the right. Packers were trending and the way Jordan Love started playing and all the youth that Green Bay has, you can't look around that division and say we're the top dogs by far. Mm -hmm. Green Bay's on their heels. Minnesota's still going to be a, a good, solid team, assuming that they have a starting quarterback. And Chicago's about to get Caleb Williams into the building with another top 10 pick with him. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be pretty heated in the NFC North, I think, in the coming years. Yeah. Um, from a cornerback situation, uh, the free agent list, there's some there's some older players like Stephon Gilmore on there. There's guys like Adoree Jackson, who I'm always a, a big fan of Adoree Jackson if you get him at the right price. Uh, but he's coming off a poor year, but he's he's had a good career previously. It, Brad Brad's projected contract in Adoree is one year, $7 million. That would That's what the Lions did last year, right? We throw the $6 million at Emmanuel Mosley. We... Uh, you know, take chances on uh, Cameron Sutton, who struggled last year and didn't play up to what he had done previously. But I wonder if a Dory Jackson is like that um, James Bradbury-ish -ish, uh, reclamation project that you bring in if you can get him at the right price. I think that could be a good move for Detroit. Um, and again, I think in the in the draft, I mean, I wouldn't hate if they doubled up at corner with two out of those top 100 picks. But one of the um... One of the areas, given the cap space and the money and the position that they are, like they could be a team to go not one player away, but if we're going to make one big investment, what about a guy like Legereus Sneed? You know, make him a number one big, big, or top end of the corner market uh, deal. Like make him a number one superstar corner for this team, a guy that can play inside or outside, gives us the flexibility to do whatever we want on defense, you know, is, is in his prime. Like, I would love it. That, that's the kind of move where it would be a big splash play for a team that's already good, but it wouldn't be crazy. Like, it wouldn't be f uh, flittering resources away. It would be putting it in the right place. I'm good with one big splash move at corner, like a Snead, or at edge, like a Daniel Hunter. I'm good with one of those on that side of the ball for Detroit. 
and then trust your process otherwise. Again, receiver's always an interesting one. You know, they got a lot out of Josh Reynolds last year. They traded for Donovan Peoples-Jones. They have the great Khalif Raymond. The great. They have Jamison Williams, who's shown flashes of being as good as Khalif Raymond at points in his career. How do they attack that position? Amonra St. Brown's about to get paid yeah. as well. I, I should have mentioned him on this list of, you know, ready to make a ton of money. I mean, he's going to get paid. Panay Sewell's going to get paid. Like, they have a lot of big contracts coming up. So even though they have, and the Jared Goff thing we talked about, right? right. So they have... 50 million in cap space. I mean, a lot of that is sort of already earmarked for players that, they're, that are on the roster right now earning far less than they should be. All right. Did we fix the Lions? Yeah, we didn't do much to them, right? Well, I mean, again, a lot of what they're doing is keeping guys in-house. I think we gave them a power move, either a corner or at edge. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to grab one of those guys. And then I do want to see what they do at receiver. I want to see more. If you're going to maximize Jared Goff, I think you just continue to keep those playmakers there. Give Ben Johnson what's needed. Were you trying to give them Derrick Henry at some point this offseason? They still have David Montgomery, and obviously they have Jameer Gibbs. But was were, you, were you try, Were you talking Derrick Henry to the Lions? I don't think so. Or was that a fan asking me why, if they should go get Derrick Henry? It doesn't sound like <clears throat> something I would do. But No, I don't think so either. I don't think they should do it. I don't think they should. Um, but I would, I'd like to see another, another receiver in the mix here. But they've built they've built depth. Remember last year they had like six linebackers competing. I mean, really, legitimately, like four linebackers competing for two spots. They, I think they need that type of competition at corner this offseason between draft capital and free agency. So that's my suggestion. Nice. Um, we got two more teams left. Mm-hmm. That's it. Who's next? Green Bay. The Green Bay Packers. They're young. They're ascending. They're good. That's it. The, Stay young. The Packers have. I don't know if intentionally or otherwise, but they've done your strategy of let's just let's just draft a million times and and every year and <laughs> see how it's going to work out. Yeah. They have eleven draft picks, I think, this year. One, two, three, four. One of the what I've um, yeah, I was 11. looking I was looking the other day at the draft model and I was looking at players per round. If I had drafted based off the model and and I said I'm going to eliminate everybody that's not a model guy, basically. And it, what, it, what it comes out to is you have a board, you have a legitimate board of like 65, 70 people. And, and by the fourth round, there's like three guys who went in the fourth who were a yes and three in the fifth and a couple in the sixth and a couple in the seventh. So I, I get, I'm a little conflicted. My strategy of trade, uh, of draft a bunch, right. but also tighten up the draft board because it's, it makes it very difficult to trade down. And it makes it very difficult to draft volume because you have fewer players to choose from. So I'm I'm a, I'm a little conflicted there. Either strategy, though, I think is beneficial. The Packers we, not only trading and uh, drafting in volume, but drafting the same position over and over again for like, hey, we'll we'll solve this position with somebody. But it's probably also how you end up drafting like the Patriots. <laughs> like if you were given total control of a team to run. Your draft would end up looking like that, where you're like yeah. in the third round they're but drafting with better some, players. Yeah, yeah, but in the third round they're drafting some rando that nobody else has ever heard of because he pops off with a 98 in the model, and everyone's like, "What the hell is Bill Belichick doing over there?" It's just that's they're yeah. running that. That's what they're doing. They're that's, just that's what just, I'm doing. It's just a different like, it's a different set of parameters than everybody else. They have the a different from. way of getting to right. their 75 than I do. Exactly, but theoretically it's kind of the same idea, right? But Mr. Kraft. You should use my way of getting to 75 players. But the Packers are now in this incredibly good position where, okay, they, they don't have a ton of cap space, but guys like David Bakhtiari are earning a ton of money. 
that they've already shown they can live without him. Like yeah. they could get they could move on from him immediately. Outside of that, I mean Jordan Love playing incredibly is is going to get paid at the end of this year. Um, everybody else on offense earning nothing because they're all like rookies or you know rookie deal type um, moves. And then there's like, they don't need to spend. And then with a ton of draft picks coming up. They got ten or eleven draft picks, five of which are in the first three rounds in the top hundred. This is an incredible spot for them to be in. Yeah, I mean the the other part too is we've we've mentioned this on the the opposite end with. Um, a team like Belichick or in New England, where he was so bad at drafting receivers, do you ever look at that as a weakness and just say, okay, I'm just not going to do it anymore. I don't have a good track record, therefore I need to go to free agency or whatever. Right. Green Bay now has this track record of, of drafting and developing receivers, drafting and developing offensive linemen. It's not every position across the board, but this it's a multi-decade system in Green Bay of draft and develop and don't break the bank and free agency and and they've done a really good job of of fostering that environment, which is why I think this season, look, we predicted it before the year. We said maybe a year from now, Green Bay is even better than they are. And, and I think by halfway, by Thanksgiving, they started to show the signs of what 2024 might look like. They win a playoff game. They almost beat San Francisco to go to the NFC Championship. So, yeah, they're in a really good spot right now. Almost their entire offseason should be defense. Like, I would barely touch the offense i think maybe there's a world where you move on from david bakhtiari you you know you can you always need to at least continue to tinker and turn over the offensive line because there's going to be uh guys that leave every single year so you know john runyon a guard is on his way out you know you, you might lose lose josh nyman like they're gonna be, there's gonna be turnover there so you're never I don't think in a position where you can just say we're not touching the offensive line for an offseason. Um, so, but above and beyond the usual annual turnover on the offensive line and therefore the replenishing of bodies, everything I did this offseason, if I'm Green Bay, would be on defense. So they have, um, they have this history of doubling up at positions. I, just, I, I like to go back and read what that looked like because I, I think to your point – where, are they doubling up in the secondary this offseason? They've got both starting safety. They got three out of four of their top – three out of their top four safeties uh, hitting free agency. I think a lot of people are mocking corners, even though they have J.R. Alexander and Eric Stokes under contract, plus a couple late rounders that, that did pretty well last year. But is corner another position where they'd want to future-proof that? Definitely. But they doubled up at corner in 2015, technically, Demarius Randall and Quentin Rollins. Mm -hmm. Randall back and forth between safety and corner. They doubled up um, in the secondary in 17, Kevin King and Josh Jones, corner and safety. They doubled up at corner again in 2018, Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson out of Iowa. Then they doubled up or tripled up at receiver in rounds four through six, Jamon Moore, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and Equinemia St. Brown. And you could say MVS was the guy that they hit. Like They doubled up at multiple positions in that draft. Last year, of course, at receiver. Uh, and tight end. And tight end. So this is this is their history. They doubled up a receiver in 2022, Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs, and then Samari Touré. Um, so two straight years they doubled up at receiver. Yeah. Last year, as you mentioned, tight end as well. Um, so where are they doubling up this year? I think I think secondary as a whole. Yeah, they're, they're entire secondary, maybe both, like corner and safety, double up and and hammering those. I mean, Eric Stokes was another one of those players that weirdly dropped off badly after a really impressive rookie season. Jair Alexander is is great but number one he's getting paid a ton of money and number two he's 
kind of a loose cannon, apparently, given, Fake given what happened last year with calling his own coin toss and that kind of thing. Uh, so at the minimum, I think you would say he's a more vulnerable, highly paid number one corner than most no, like number one highly paid corners would be on a given roster. So, yeah, like hammer corner this year. Um, so we, we keep talking about the first round corners and, and who might be available there. Um, even in that second round, you've got guys like TJ Tampa from Iowa State and Kamari Lassiter from Georgia, Kyrie Jackson from Oregon. I think there's there's about 10 to 12 in the top 100 currently. Was TJ Tampa more. the guy getting schooled by Steve Smith and sneakers? Was he? I, maybe. I think so. I don't know. I'm going to keep going back. I was at the game. Yeah. Where TJ had the pick, so therefore he's he's going to remain high on my board. It's always, the, I mean, that can't be a good thing, right? Steve, Steve Smith being forty something years old in sneakers, carving up a rookie like a a a you think TJ draft Tam, prospect you think corner. Steve Smith is doing a walkthrough to teach another receiver how to do something. Yeah. He happened to do it at game speed. You think the corner covering him was like, all right, game rep, let's go? I mean, maybe not after rep one, after you getting like. Just after don't, consistent separation, you don't want to say, all right, enough of this. Don't be one of the stupid people. I'm just, I, it, like I said, it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it can't be good. Are you one of those people, like, you know, those like Facebook videos that go viral and it's like, watch this kid in school, the way he does this thing. And it's, it's all staged. It it's can, all staged. It can mean. And it takes, it just takes like a second <laughs> for you to like stop and be like oh this video they happened to film this entire thing that ended up perfectly and it's all sta it might all be staged it, it takes mean, a second to think about that you get fooled by those i bet it can mean anything from zero nothing to like negative a lot but it can't mean anything positive right it's closer to zero but but it, there's no way that it's good is all i'm saying anyway the chat saying Green Bay always releases number one corners. Just let him go. There you go. I mean, I, so I think Steve, cornerback. Steve Smith, 44. Yeah. He's older than us. He is. How about that? Yeah. Um, we know they're not going to do anything in free agency. Right. Green Bay. So draft in the secondary. Um, Safety is another interesting position too, right? Darnell Savage kind of run his course oh, there. I have a draft. So they're going to draft A.J. Dillon's replacement. Um, you have this? Yes. And his replacement is going to be Estime from Notre Dame. Ooh. Like and Estime it. is going to be a beast in that offense. Oh, I like that. Look at you. Mm -hmm. There's your running back content Done. for the show, for the two-hour show. For the week. If they want another running back, Utah safety Sione Vaki <laughs> had an incredible <laughs> game against USC. Um, another thing I'm going to mention throughout draft season when we talk Vaki, man, that was awesome. In this he world. got given reps, right? Like during, was it, where was he? The Shrine game? The Senior Bowl. Senior yeah. Bowl. He, did, he had a day, at least one day where he was playing running Is back. Is this going to happen? Because I, like, I wanted Miles Jack to play running back in the, and it never happened. I sure hope so. I mean, it is tough enough to play NFL, in the NFL. But I, it, I think like receiver and corner are so nuanced when it comes to technique. And you know how bad it is if you're a quarterback and the run, the the routes not run to the exact depth right. and everything that could force it that could cause an interception but if we're talking about a guy just like taking some reps at running back but it's also to like, add value to yeah. the team i think there's I something guess, there yeah i mean i don't know how that works if you have a guy that can do both and you're like hey do you want a package on offense sure but like 
from his point of view, if you have an option of playing either running back or DB in the NFL, given the way the NFL landscape is right now, like you don't want to play running back. That's the last thing you want to do. Now, if it's a way of getting on a roster and contributing and you know maybe sticking in a way that you wouldn't have otherwise, sure. But if the option available to him is, do you want to play DB or running back? Nobody's going to say yes to running back. That's if you, but that stuff only applies if you're like a first round caliber player because you're only talking about the high end contracts at the top of the market that are not there anymore. But also, but yeah, you'd want to choose safety because it's easier to make a roster and you could, you know, there's more depth needed yeah. there. So you have more job opportunity there. Right. And he's even like if you stick briefly, you can get a solid reasonable contract for a while at db whereas if you like you could be philip Lindsay, whereas you could come into the nfl be like a pro bowler and still get no money yeah i mean it's not a great not a great position right now um you mentioned all the packers picks their first ones at 25 they also have pick 41 mm-hmm. from the jets so they've got three in the top 60 five in the top 100 um if three of those picks end up becoming corners and safeties the safety market um sorry the safety draft class um got aided by underclassmen Kalen Bullock from USC, Cameron Kitchens from Miami, uh, Javon Bullard from Georgia. I think all those guys are in play. Um, not that you'd want to draft needs, but I think the need in value is going to match up pretty well right there for, um, for the Packers. Mm-hmm. Um, defensive line as well. Probably need more depth. I feel like the Packers were back and forth between they'd have some pretty good games against the run and some disastrous games against the run. Devontae Wyatt former first round pick maybe hasn't developed the way they would like Kenny Clark getting a little bit older over there as well so I think getting that defensive line adding depth there as well I think is going to be huge yep hammer the defense just defense across the board yep all right then is there anything else for Green Bay they're they're a weird team because we're not we're not slotting free agents in for them because they're not going to do it right they're very rarely i mean not that they never sign any free agents but they're rarely going to sign a free agent they do have a starting spot at guard with john runyon hitting free agency um i think o-line depth always for them as well just but continue to draft and get the next zach tom Um, the next david bakhtiari right i don't think we i don't know that we talked about this uh when it happened but another interesting or another reason that defense is so important for them this offseason is obviously they changed defensive coordinator they went away from Joe Barry's system that for almost all of the year was a big problem and then came back to bite them right at the worst time in the playoffs and the guy that they uh, selected to come in and take that job is Jeff Halfley um, who doesn't have like he's not the next guy from the Vic Fangio tree or whatever he's got a much more unconventional or at least obscure pathway to this position than that um what do you think that what impact does that have on the defense as we're looking at it i don't know exactly what halfley is going to run it it is one of the bigger stories in college football right now though is halfley who had a head coaching job at bc granted he may have been on the hot seat for the next year right but like leaving head coaching jobs to go get coordinator jobs in the NFL or or even in college football, huge and story. In and it's a really interesting move from Lafleur's position. Who there had been this run of those guys, the the Shanahan coaching tree head coaches, going after you know Vic Fangio type disciples to to pair with and to practice against and all those kinds of things. And that's where Joe Barry came from. And you know one potential 
move in that direction would have been, hey, Brandon Staley is now available as a coordinator. And instead he goes in a completely different direction, like poaches the head coach at the college level to come in and run a defense. Yeah, and, and Halfley's, you know, he's been with the Browns. He's been with the 49ers. He was co-defensive coordinator at Ohio State and then was at Boston College. Right. I, you don't – there's no, like, pedigree Thread. or tree or whatever that he's going to do. I would expect, though, that you might see more man coverage, you know, than what Green Bay was doing. Right. So, again, that's more impetus to go out and get get some corners and guys that can cover and, you know, add some depth on the on the back end. They're also a huge unknown, by the way, as a as a as a roster generally, but even on the defensive side, we're sort of focusing more on the offense because hey, Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, Jaden Reed, Tucker Craft, Luke Musgrave, all these young guys that were good already, if they develop with an extra year, you can say the same thing for a lot of the players on defense, like Carl Brooks, who played really well as a rookie. Um, Lucas Van Ness, the first round pick, who didn't <laughs> Carrington Valentine at, at corner. Thank you. Um, but yeah, a lot of young, a lot of young players on Bless defense you. that we expect or theoretically could get better as well. Maybe it's the the progression isn't necessarily as linear. But you know, Lucas Van Ness. Okay, he was a first round pick that I wasn't as high on as a lot of people. But if he develops, huge addition, like huge yeah. addition. He was already on the roster. Yeah. So I, I like a lot of what Green Bay is doing. So you know, keep stay on course in Green Bay. That's seven teams out of eight here on the show. Easy. Minnesota Vikings are up next. And the big question um, going to be on that. At the quarterback position, Danielle Hunter also hits free agency. Kirk Cousins hits free agency, of course. Um, they're trying to work out what's going to happen with Marcus Davenport. Remember last year, Davenport was high on our, our free agent board. He only gets the one-year deal from Minnesota. Called it a prove-it deal. Ends up getting hurt again. Did not prove it. Did not prove it. Uh, maybe they can get him back on the cheap, but let's let's start at quarterback. What happens with Minnesota at the QB position? Yeah, this is like we've been kind of calling for this for years, right? They need to finally put a stop date to the Kirk Cousins thing because it's not it's not going to take them where they need to go. They finally did. They were like, all right, no more re-upping of the deals, and then Cousins gets hurt, you know, pops his Achilles, and the season without Cousins or what what was left of the season without Cousins kind of showed you how much Cousins was bringing to the table. Almost the reverse of the Mason Rudolph, uh, Tyrod Taylor dynamic, right? The absence of Kirk Cousins showed how much Kirk Cousins was doing for this offense. And if anything, he's been consistently playing his best football in this system. So now that you have Jordan Addison and Justin Jefferson, albeit he's going to need to get paid a lot soon. Um, Addison? You're already paying Addison? Jefferson. Oh, Jefferson. I thought you, Okay, sorry. Um like, do you say, actually, okay, it's not like you don't want to be paying Kirk Cousins top-of-the-market money, but it, when your alternative is, okay, we don't have Kirk Cousins anymore, we pick 11, we're either drafting QB 3, 4, 5 at 11, or we're doing something really aggressive to go from 11 to 3 to 2? Do they just say, screw it, let's bring Cousins back? Yeah, I saw people talking about this recently, about the, the last era – of the NFL versus the current era and where the quarterback depth in the last couple eras. And to me, it's clear as day. The last era that featured Brady, Manning, Rodgers, Breeze as clear elites at the top, and then a whole second tier of guys who are capable of winning the Super Bowl. I mean, I think it was clear as day that the era between, you know, say 2010 and 20 
was much stronger than it is right now. I mean, Josh Allen's great, and Joe Burrow and Lamar with Mahomes as the clear top. I mean, all those guys are great, and Jordan loves ascending or whatever. But like in the last decade, the previous decade or whatever, Matthew Stafford was not a top 10 quarterback in that era, I don't think. Kirk Cousins was on the outside looking in of top 10 quarterbacks in that era. They were in that era. I mean, now they're top six to eight guys. Right. But Cousins is just taken over from Matt Ryan as the inflection point, right? I get it, but Kirk Cousins still existed in that last era. No, I know. It wasn't, but he's a better player now. Like, he's a better player now than he was early in his I career. Mean, you this could argue the... Stafford, too, but, but again, I think those guys weren't. Um, you know, Cam Newton wasn't a top 10 quarterback, in my opinion, in his era. But this is what I think is fascinating about Kirk Cousins is he's not the player that he was earlier in his career. When there was this debate, like Washington, what, dillied for three or four years, giving him these like one-year franchise tag. Like, but he's always sure? put up really good stats. They no, just no, didn't believe I know. That, it was, that it was sustainable. But they dillied trying to figure out whether he was a good enough starting quarterback or not. The Vikings end up bringing him in. And he's i think gotten consistently better throughout his entire career in minnesota in part aided because things around him like kevin o'connell comes in then justin jefferson comes on the scene like the the dynamic around him has changed but i think he's become a significantly better player throughout his time in minnesota than he was uh earlier in his career it's not i don't think it's the same conversation every year as it has as it you know as, as people like to make it seem it's not just it's a different conversation every year because Cousins is different. And now it's even more complicated because he's coming off an Achilles at, what, 35, 36 years old. Um, it's a the, You don't have the, the leverage anymore of having at least one more year locked up. You've, you put the stop date on it. You've exposed him to the marketplace. It's a very difficult conversation, I think. And the only thing I think that plays into Minnesota's favor if they want him back, which I don't know, is... Bill Belichick didn't go to Atlanta. So I think the draw of, of playing for Bill Belichick, for Kirk Cousins specifically, would have been immense. And he would have done a lot to go and play for Bill Belichick. With no Bill Belichick in the NFL, I think the Vikings hold all the advantages if they want him back relative to any other team that's going to throw money at him. So, you know, he is a guy who has settled in Minnesota. You know, the, he's he's set there everything's good for him in minnesota i think it would take a lot for another team say in atlanta to come in and try and poach him away now a lot is not impossible like there's absolutely a contract i'm sure they could throw in his direction that would make him do it but i think all things being equal or even vaguely equal i think he'd want to stay with the vikings yeah the point i was trying to make in all of this kirk cousins improved a little bit matthew stafford's improved you could say jared goff's improved but none of those guys were top 10 quarterbacks in the, in the last era. But now you could say that they are, and it's more palatable. You know, I think it's, it's more reasonable. Every time I see, when people say move on from the guy that keeps you in QB purgatory or that is QB 8 to 20, I always say, what's the alternative? And you laid out the alternative for the Vikings at 11. You know, is it, is it Bo Nix or Michael Penix? Is it J.J. McCarthy? Is, that's risky. Obviously, if you're if you're um, if you're Kevin O'Connell, you're crazy trying to, you know, maintain your jobs over the next couple of years. That's risky trying to do that. Now, the trade up is interesting. Right. They were allegedly trying to trade up last year 
for, you know, whether it's for Stroud or for Bryce Young, they were allegedly trying to get to two or three, right, to try to get one of those top quarterbacks, Anthony Richardson, perhaps. You also have to wonder to what extent is their approach conditioned by the rest of the division now, which features a Detroit team that was in the NFC Championship game and almost won it, a Green Bay team that we're saying could be better than them next year because of all the youth that they've got across the board. Chicago is, is more of an X factor, but... Like, do the Vikings look at that and say, we are in a division with at least one NFC contender, perhaps two? Does, does Kirk Cousins get us where we need to go, even if we're able to put the rest of the team back around him and give him that kind of money? Or do we have to try and take a big swing and change the dynamic at the top of the draft? Um, yeah, so I think, so I wonder if, if the injury for Cousins does make it a little bit easier to bring him back. Maybe it's a glorified one-year deal. And maybe you also take a stab at quarterback at 11. Maybe we do both. Maybe you bring in a you know, draft a J.J. McCarthy to sit yeah. behind Kirk Cousins. They've been a team connected with McCarthy a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm intrigued by McCarthy with the athleticism and the upside. Like, I think there is theoretical upside because there's a small sample size of him throwing the ball. Right? <laughs> well, also, you know, Jim Harbaugh said he's the number one player in the draft. There you go. Um, I saw, who is it? Uh, never mind. I saw somebody mention that, you know, if he was in a more throwing offense – we would be talking about Joe Burrow. Don't know if I'm there yet. Don't know if I'm there yet. But um, uh, the Vikings have eight picks, this uh, nine picks this year. Last year they only drafted six times. Those are the types of things that also come back to bite. I think that's why they had to get a market, you know, Marcus Davenport for one year and just kind of, you know, stitching that roster together. But it's also why it's difficult. Like if you're now projecting a move from number 11 to number two or three. That would be back-to-back -back years with very limited draft capital. We are running really low on impact draft capital yeah. to this team. And if you're talking about the analytically inclined GM, you would expect the opposite. You would expect more years of you know 10 to 15 picks and, and doing that a couple times in a row to, to get the roster back on track. Um, anyway, so I think they'll do what they can to bring Cousins back. Um, it just shows the alternatives are scary, man. Yeah. The alternatives of not having that guy are scary. And they can compete in the NFC North with Cousins throwing to Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison, TJ Hawkinson coming back healthy. Uh, full season with that group definitely can, it, it, can do yeah. some damage. It's funny because I think for the first time in a few years, I think the thing that makes the most sense for them is Cousins. And it's the one time where they've decided, essentially, they predetermined we're probably going to put a stop to that and go in a different direction. It's like... It's the first time where I think it actually makes more sense to continue with Cousins than to, to pivot and go in a different direction. I think, I think a lot of the problems with all of these things, like, look, we went back and we, we, we criticized the Packers at the time for drafting Jordan Love, and I think that was for two reasons. They were on the verge of being a Super Bowl contender with Aaron Rodgers, right. and then secondly, at the time, we didn't love Jordan Love, so mm -hmm. we criticized it. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I made up my mind to never criticize any quarterback move because I—that's how I usually believe. To never criticize no, any like any any drafting of QBs in volume because you don't really know. Um, I think it's also fair to go back to the Packers and say, did they leave a potential Super Bowl on the table? What have you? The problem with put uh, pushing things down the road is when you don't try to get a solution early, right? So this has the opportunity. The Vikings, I think, have the opportunity to say. Let's do this deal for, with Cousins. Let's do a glorified one-year deal if he'll take it, however that looks, one- or two-year deal, and let's draft the quarterback. Let's do it earlier rather than later. So we're not at this point where Cousins is gone and we have to draft a quarterback so our hand isn't forced. Let's do both at the same time. 
and then take that draft capital and because you're using one of them on a quarterback that might not see the field this year you start to trade down and, and add the the depth that this roster needs particularly on the defensive side of the ball it feels like so when you when you've got a Kirk Cousins as your quarterback and you're always kind of trying to find the next quarterback but you're never really in a position to do it you know like this is a bad year when Cousins didn't play for most of them they're still only picking 11 right doesn't a team like that feel like they should be drafting a second or a third round quarterback every year Yes. Like literally construct your draft strategy to have a second or third round pick extra every year so that you can dedicate it strictly to a quarterback because most of them will be Kellen Mond and that does you no good whatsoever, right? But every now and again, you'll find one that might be a reason to move on from Kirk Cousins. Absolutely. But they haven't. Like they've they've done very little of that and instead they've been bringing in guys like Jaron Hall and it's like – you know, you're never. You're That's almost at least a draft pick, but yeah, right, but keep, like, but then the fifth keep round, doing it. you're almost never going to find the guy in the fifth. Whereas in the second or third, you might stumble on one so every Spencer three years Rattler or whatever. In Kirk Cousins, yeah. Right. I mean, but yeah, you absolutely should. But I that, think now that's my, when when we go back to like my draft board thing. I'm gonna talk for like not. There's about 70 non QBs that I would draft, and then you sprinkle in the QBs with your extra yeah. draft picks, and now you've got a full draft class. But my point being, now feels like a little late to be starting that as a strategy. Like this should no, have been should what be. they were doing from the second that Kirk Cousins was the quarterback. Is we know like from from year. After, from year three onwards, right, from after the end of his second year starting, they should have been fairly acutely of the opinion that we probably need an upgrade over Kirk Cousins and what is our pathway to getting that. And the only way of doing that, because he's, he's good enough that you're going to win too many games, is I need to find I need to draft a second-round quarterback every year until I find one. And they didn't, ever. The one last thing, so defensive, the other thing about the Vikings here, you mentioned Justin Jefferson's going to have to get paid. Uh, Christian Darasaw is going to have to get paid yep. pretty soon as well. Um, Brad has Harrison Smith, the safety, the veteran safety, as a potential cut slash pay cut, really. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, did they run this extreme blitz-heavy, three-man rush-heavy scheme from Brian Flores out of necessity and yeah. lack of talent? That needs to be attacked, I think, from just a talent standpoint, top to bottom. And what is the evolution of that in year two i mean brian flores i think had a fairly strong assistant coach of the year candidacy for what he did with that defense given the lack of talent around him but late in the year it did start to get found out a little bit teams worked out what was happening teams found ways of attacking it and he sort of ran out of answers now was that just a an inevitable product of there's only so much talent here. There's only so many smoke and mirrors to go around. And over 17 games, eventually I run out of smoke and mirrors, right? Can he do it again? Like, is there a, is there a second year evolution of the system? Or did he simply run out of smoke and mirrors? And now they're in trouble, with, like without a massive jump forward in terms of defensive personnel. So I think that's a huge question for that defense heading into this year is, look, it still doesn't have a lot of talent. They're losing more. You know, Donnell Hunter, guys like that are, are scheduled to hit free agency if they don't bring them back. So we either need a massive influx of defensive talent or the dude operating the, the smoke and mirrors needs to have a completely new set of smoke and mirrors that can last 17 games again. If the Vikings don't go QB at 11 or trade up or whatever it might be, uh, Jared Verse, I mean, I think, I think Edge has been linked to the Vikings in, uh, early in the draft quite a bit. Layatu Latu from UCLA. He's going to be one of our favorites, Jared Verse. To me, those are the top two edges, and I think it's pretty clear that those are the top two guys. Latu's 
lack of arm length or testing and injury history might come up as an issue. Um, but I think those are the top two guys above uh, Dallas Turner in particular. I think those guys should absolutely be in play at 11 for Minnesota. Yeah, I would have no problem drafting Latu at 11. It will be – if they did it, it w- I think a lot of people would scream reach, but I think that would be a great pick. I don't know. I'm, again, I, I try not to live in this world where I know what everybody else thinks. I just know that's that seems right. The, like, the, like the right value. If Latu ends up falling because of any sort of medical history or arm length or anything like that, man, if he's a steal – in the mid to late first round or wherever he might fall. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, the defense getting attacked at pick 11 and 42 for Minnesota makes a lot of sense. That's all they have in the top 100 or in the, in the top 50 or, or in the top 100. So I'm curious to know how much they are going to, to try to accumulate draft capital a year after last year they picked Addison in the first, didn't have a second. Yeah. Makai Blackman in the third, that's nice, but they had a four, two fives, and a seven. They only had six total picks last year not picking enough in the top 100 starts to really add up over yeah. years. So I mean, that means, sorry, two straight years they'll have slotted three picks in the top 100 over a two-year period. That makes it really difficult from a team-building standpoint. They have a few cornerstone pieces. You know, when you look at Darisaw, Justin Jefferson, and, you know, Jefferson, like, these guys are going to get paid. I mean, they're both <laughs> reaching the end of the cheap money. So they have a few cornerstone pieces in Addison, obviously, last year. Uh, but number one, it's almost none of it is locked up long-term. And number two, that's kind of it. Like, nothing else is there to build around. I mean, they need they need guys like – like Ivan Pace Jr. was a fantastic a- acquisition for them as an undrafted free agent linebacker last year. They need him to continue on that pace simply because they don't have anybody else. They need a guy like Mikai Blackman to step forward in year two and actually be a really good starting caliber corner because they basically don't have anybody else. Like the what what they were doing on the back end with Josh Metellus and Cameron Bynum and Harrison Smith. Like they need those guys to stay. It, this is not a good looking roster, top to bottom. Um, they got the most out of it last year. I think. I mean, I think, I think Kevin O'Connell's been a good coach. Brian Flores, you know, coached really well. But yeah, I think it's time to reset the personnel and it's it's got to be a year where they're either trading down and attacking draft picks or they or they're trying to solve the QB future uh the future of the QB position. And and when you sort picks. of yeah, like when you talk about, you know, roster construction and team building and where you allocate resources, like TJ Hawkinson has been a great addition to this team. He's done a really good job, but he's now one of their best paid players. Like one of your biggest sums of money percentages of like roster is tied up in a tight end is that where you want the money well that's that's one of those they they got great value of the player but when you go and you say we're going to give up a second round pick right. for him it's it's with the it's what you're getting from him as the player plus the price tag i think overall they're probably happy with it but then a team like detroit who found uh hawkinson maybe a better version of hawkinson in the second round a year later in sam laporta is even happier, right? So it goes it goes both ways there. Mm-hmm. Um, we gave the Vikings some options. <laughs> fixed. Everybody's fixed. It's eight teams. That's the Norths. Done. Tomorrow we'll do probably the Easts, and then uh, next week we'll solve the other half of the NFL. Mm-hmm. That sound good? It's like a two-hour and 15-minute show. Perfect. Every week, I think. Every uh, Every show. All right, that's fun. A lot of fun. Don't forget, uh, uh, what is it? What's our 30MDS? Is that the uh, promo? 30MDS. 30MDS. 30% off. 
any PFF subscription right now over at PFF.com. Um, so we're live here on this Wednesday doing Fixing Every Team in Five Minutes. We'll do the same thing again tomorrow and then circle back next week, probably Monday, Wednesday, with the, uh, with the rest of the NFL. That all sound good? Yep. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again tomorrow with more PFF NFL Podcast.